0: Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 208, Blades versus Aspinall, also known as UFC London, or really more correctly, we should probably call it UFC London too, since the UFC had a London card just back in March. In any event, I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, back together, is uh, Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today?
1: Dude, I'm I'm doing good. How you doing, man?
0: I'm doing really well. Uh, we certainly missed you on the UFC Long no, you Island didn't. recap. Right. No, did Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who's watching this probably watched the recap and they know that you were obviously very missed because we talked about you plenty. Uh talked about all the picks you made right and none of the ones you made wrong. Okay. I mean, what, cool, what could be cool. better than that? It's, all right. <clears throat> but Uh, Something came up in the conversation during that recap that I wanted to bring up off the top before we talk about this card, because someone on Twitter, and I'm pretty sure it was Luke Thomas, pointed out that since the UFC has gone back to doing regular fight night cards away from the Apex, they have all been bangers. The first London card was kind of the first non-pay-per-view they did away from Vegas since COVID. Then UFC Columbus, UFC Austin, UFC Long Island, they have all been wild cards. Okay. And not just because they had you know a bunch of great fights, but also so many new fighters who were signed during the COVID era and have never fought in front of crowds before. That's a good point. Like yeah. fighting, so so many winners like just crying or just saying ridiculous stuff because they're just losing <laughs> their minds. It's yeah. been a, it's been a fun ride. UFC London too, which takes place at uh, O2 Arena on the 23rd. The card we're about to talk about has its work cut out for it if it's going to keep up that trend, but certainly the UFC has done their best to stack this card with stuff that is going to delight the London crowd. It is a 14 fight card, you know, between us, you and I as pros that watch all the fights, no matter what we we have our feelings about 14 fight cards, but every single one of these fights has at least one European in it. Four of them are European versus European. So there's no chance that they're just going to be sitting there drumming their fingers, watching a, you know, a Chinese and a Brazilian fighter fight each other. It's got a couple of the UK super, super favorites. I mean, it's got Molly McCann. Yeah. It's got Patty Pimlet. Yes. Uh, it, it has Mason Jones. Speaking of people like Nathaniel Wood, now that Jack shore has finally taken his first L uh, wood is one of the guys that we're going to start hearing about him being, I think, you know, the destiny of British MMA, probably, okay. uh, you know, the, the next guy more importantly, there are some low-level fighters on this card, especially first couple fights. But there's not a single fight on this, this card that I go, "Oh man, I can tell this fight's gonna suck." Okay. Can
1: I'm excited. I'm always excited to go to England because it, the Europeans always have, especially certain places, Ireland, England, they have the best crowds. I mean, even think about like when Bellator, not even that big cards, the 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 pump you can feel coming through the coming through, coming through the telly, you Dude. know, as, 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 as we go over across the pond, uh, I'm excited, man. I got my, listen, I'm so pumped for England. I got my tea. I got my tea ready. Let me see if I do it right. I'm not really dry. that that's water, but I try to put it in a teacup. I got, I got, I got my, I got my football. What's, what's the, what's the local, uh, London team? Well, obviously, I mean, I know there's like a million leagues, but what's the big yeah, one? Yeah, I mean, there the are – What's like the uh,
0: – If I if I mention one, I'll I'll leave one Well, I know
1: Manchester is a big one, but that's obviously in Manchester.
0: And, well, I mean, Manchester has, you know, Manchester City and Manchester United, which are two of the best and most popular teams in the Okay, in I UK. didn't know those two. It shows you, know? <laughs> shows you how American I am. I didn't know <laughs> well, I'm so American, I'm drinking a Diet Coke. I'm not even trying to pretend to, to like, fit in with this stuff.
1: Well, I would try to do a British accent, but that would have really embarrassed myself. Oof. Better do if i try to disguise my new england accent i can't do a, a real england accent
0: man like i said 14 fights shall we just dig straight into these yeah let's do it all right first fight up at ufc london is a welterweight matchup between claudio silva and nicholas dalby Silva, the 39-year-old Brazilian, is 14-3 and overall. He is 5-2 and in the UFC. That's the good news. The bad news is that the two are his last two fights. uh, After winning his first five fights in the UFC across a long period of time, he's had a couple of long injury layoffs that I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, He came back in October of 2020, lost a unanimous decision to James Krause at one of the UFC fight nights out on Fight Island. In Abu Dhabi came back last May at UFC Fight Night Font versus Garbrandt and dropped a unanimous decision to Court McGee. So he's on a two-fight losing streak. He is pushing 40. He's going to try to get this turned around against Dalby. Uh, the 37-year-old Danish fighter is 19-4-1 with two no contests overall. He's 3-3-1 three, three one with one no contest across two different stints with the UFC. Since coming back to the UFC this most recent time, he's 2-1-1 with one no contest. He did lose uh his last time out. That was a unanimous decision loss to Tim Means uh last June, so a little over a year ago at UFC Fight Night gone versus Volkov. Before that, he had had a surprising and frankly impressive uh win over Daniel Rodriguez back at UFC 255. Odds on this one do favor Dolby pretty heavily. Minus 275 Silva plus 225 on the comeback. That's going to be part of the story of tonight in the efforts to serve the local crowd a little bit. There are some pretty lopsided matchups in this card and they pretty much all favor the local fighter. So uh, prepare for a bunch of that. I'll I'll say this, I understand why the line is what it is here. Uh, Speaking of things that are what they are, Nicholas Dalby is what he is. He is, uh, basically he's a European action fighter. He's a real fun fighter to watch. Uh, aggressive good striker uh, you know tons of guts obviously his fights are, are, are often blood and guts he has kind of a bit of a gutsy story to himself if, if you have heard him talk about his time between his two stints in the UFC uh, it's you know, it's heartwarming to see him back in the UFC and winning some fights honestly he kind of remembers reminds me of the first Danish fighter I can think of in the UFC Martin Kampmann where he came to the UFC with the the reputation of this is a, a high level European kickboxer, and he turned out, yeah, he's a pretty good striker, but n- never among the best strikers in the division. But ended up being surprisingly well rounded, pretty good ground game, and always in exciting fights. That's Nicholas Dalby. Claudio Silva, if you'd asked me, yeah, you know, six, seven years ago, I'd say, Oh, this guy has top 10 upside in the welterweight division. Uh, he, I mean, his win over Leon Edwards has aged incredibly well. Nordin Taleb was a good win at the time. Uh he you know Nordine Taleb was his first fight back from like 3 or 4 years off with a variety of injuries and for him to come back and choke out Taleb in a round then you know get two more quick uh stoppage wins. I thought wow, even in his late 30s, this guy maybe has something left in the tank. That has not been the case in his last two fights. It's not a good look that James Krause literally got off a bar stool in Abu Dhabi, stepped up on 24 hours notice and handled, handled Silva in Silva's wheelhouse because Silva's whole thing on the come up was that he was just this brutally strong grappler who had good offensive wrestling for a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy and just steamrolled people on the ground and Kraus handled him. It was even worse when he came back last year and took on Court McGee, a guy that you and I both agree is held together with chewing gum and duct tape and bailing wire at <laughs> yeah. this point. And Court McGee also whooped Silva in Silva's own wheelhouse. He took him down with ease. He just crushed him from top position, as his nickname would imply. Uh, He's the one that was threatening Silva with submissions. Like, it was an ugly look. Mm -hmm. Claudio Silva is about as shot a fighter as I can think of in the UFC, who isn't like a legacy fighter. Like it, not like a Donald Cerrone or, or Joe Lozon type, but for a fighter who's just kind of another guy, he's about as shot a guy as I can think of that's still on roster. Because of that, I understand why this is, the, the line is what it is. And yeah, give me Dolby all day. I think Dolby's just, he's a little bigger and rangier. If he wants to keep it a striking battle, I think we'll have a fun, just kind of, you know, again, blood and guts, Nicholas Dolby fight. Dolby will be bleeding 90 seconds into the fight but i think he's faster and longer than silva on the feet even if he doesn't have the same sheer power and if claudio silva wants to get to the, to the ground i don't think he's going to be able to get Dolby down like Dolby's turned out to be a, a pretty sturdy defensive wrestler surprisingly good offensive wrestler just this is a, a ufc level welterweight against a non-ufc level welterweight to me give me nicholas Dolby and i'm gonna say decision but a pretty dominant one like I could see like a 10, third round as Silva's just tired and frustrated and Dolby's teeing off on him.
1: Yeah. I, I like a lot of things you were saying. Um One question you, you said that James Krause came literally off of the bar stool. I just, I, I kind of wonder what James Krause was drinking
0: at that moment. Like what tequila. Did he look at? we know exactly what he was drinking. He, he, was, like, did he, did he was like, "He I I had that? a shot of tequila. Yeah. He said, I had a okay. shot of tequila in my hand, you know, with some guys. James IT. It to te- tequila? Yeah. He's like, the text message came up on my phone and I put the shot down and said, Okay, I gotta go start cutting weight.
1: Oh, at least do the shot. Like what's that one shot gonna do? But at least do the shot. <laughs> do the shot and then say, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great story. Uh the other thing I disagree with, you said that uh, Claudia Silva, uh, you said you said that um Dolby it, it will be bigger than Claudia Silva. Not in the midsection though. Like Claudia Silva, it, like if, if Roy Nelson was Brazilian and could make <laughs> one seventy, and cut his hair, like Claudia Silva was looking pretty chunky in his last fight. He was like, he would be
0: taller and have longer reach there. Let me just leave okay. it at that because you're, I mean, you're <laughs> totally right.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Dolby a nice story. He really is. It's, 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 he's one of the guys you're right. He He's fun to cheer for. He's a fun action fighter, uh, more, more like output than like athlete he's just he's gonna beat you with high output um, high pressure he's one of these guys he's willing to eat a punch to land one of his own uh some of that might be due to a lack of head movement but uh he does make the mistake of overthrowing like he's not very technically sound but he's got plus power he throws a lot of hard kicks he likes tip kicks he loves that like holly home pushy back sidekick He's a very underrated offensive wrestler. He has four submission wins, and he has the cardio to go hard all 15 minutes. Um, Claudia Silva, <laughs> a lot of the opposite I just said about Nicholas Dalby. He's a southpaw. Uh, he's a minus athlete. He's pretty flat-footed. He does hit hard, and that's because he loads up on everything, and he, I feel like he just throws – Like there's no game plan behind what he's trying to do. Like he's not saying like, all right, I'm gonna throw a jab. I'm gonna then I'm gonna sidestep and try to wrap around left hook. Something like like there's no game plan. It's just yeah, I'm just gonna throw this punch. Uh, A lot of his punches are looping. Uh, He overthrows also, leaving him out of position. He throws these. The best thing he does on his feet, he has like hard leg kicks, um, and that's just because he's like he's a big dude. Um, He will shoot for takedowns. Uh, a lot of, like, single legs. But he'll shoot without any setup. We saw that against uh, Court McGee in his last fight. He'll just reach for takedowns. He has, his takedown defense is just existing. Court McGee was taking him down at will. Uh, and then he was struggling on the bottom. Now, in, in the first round, he was kind of tossing up submissions. Uh, obviously, he's a Brazilian, just black belt. He has nine subs in his record. That's the, you know, his go-to. But as the fight went on, the attacks from the bottom became less and less. He has a really bad uh, gas tank. And what I love is between the first and second round, or maybe it was the second third. I, I think, I think it was the first thing. It might've been the second there between rounds. Uh, uh Paul felt him on the, underneath the bus and, and told, it said that he was doing some of those stalling things where, uh, he suddenly doesn't speak English at all. Doesn't know it's time to get off the stool, uh, play, <laughs> playing a little bit of that game, which, which listen, you know, me, I love that. You know, Tim Elliott loves that. So, so I, I'm not going to hold that against them. <laughs> um, But I'm with you, man. I'm pretty confident in Dalby. Uh, I really only see Silva either landing a huge shot and getting an early KO or catching a quick sub, you know, maybe catching a guillotine or something. But every minute this goes on, the more it favors Dalby. Uh, Being that he's 39, you can't have confidence in Silva. I mean, he got 30-26 on two judges' scorecard in his last fight against freaking Court McGee. Yeah, I can't see him getting better at this point. Give me Dolby. I'm actually going to say Dolby stops him because of his output. I'm going to say he gets a third round TKO. I'm going to say he's on top. He lands some ground and pound.
0: Next up at UFC Fight Night 208 is a women's flyweight matchup between Mandy Baum and Victoria Leonardo. Two women still looking for their first win in the UFC. Barring something strange, one of them is going to get it on Saturday. So let's meet these two. Baum, the 32-year-old German, is seven and one with one no contest overall she's zero and one in the ufc her debut was last september at ufc fight night smith versus span where she dropped a lopsided unanimous decision to ariani lipsky she'll be meeting leonardo the 32-year-old Louisianan is 8-4 and four overall. She is 0-2 since joining the UFC out of the fourth season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, she debuted against Manon Fior at UFC Fight Night Chiesa versus Magny last January, got TKO'd in the second round, then uh, came back last August at UFC 265, was... Uh, not doing well against Melissa Gatto when uh, she had to be relieved by the doctor after the second round with an arm injury. It looked like her elbow was dislocated or something. At any rate, she also is looking for her first UFC win. She is not favored to do so as of right now. bomb is about minus 160 as the favorite. Leonardo plus 130 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, I don't say this easily, but these probably are the the worst two women in the UFC women's flyweight division. Uh, I'm not sure. like yeah, I'm roster. not sure what <laughs> either of them really does at a UFC level. Like, not even one single skill or physical attribute. Like, neither of them is especially big. Neither is especially athletic. The things that they're quote unquote good at, they're not good at on a UFC level. We talked off camera a minute ago about uh, B- Herbert Burns over Bill Algeo being one of your worst picks ever. That is nothing. <laughs> I picked Victoria Leonardo to beat Manon Fior.
1: <laughs> okay
0: you gotta be tough that's that's the worst pick in in history like two years from now when I'm, Manon Fior is the UFC flyweight champ because Valentina Shevchenko like moved up to 135 or retired and that's going to be the worst pick in the history of what? Sherdog uh previews I I swear <laughs> and the thing is yeah she uh Leonardo got stopped by an arm injury against Melissa Gatto but she's getting whooped i mean she was yeah, she was yeah, losing yeah. that fight badly anyway mandy Baum. the jury is still out over whether <laughs> ariani lipsky is so. going to fulfill well what's that sorry let me ask you this so she she got her
1: arm broken so they had to stop the fight you know she'd be one arm well if we did the opposite what if we gave her a third arm like would that have mattered against gato if she had three arms fighting i don't Gatto? think so yeah
0: no, i don't think and so i either. think if you i think if you take him one arm away from gato she still might have pulled it <laughs> like, out.
1: Like she's too, she she's too unathletic to get all three going. <laughs> she's hitting herself with the extra arm.
0: <laughs> oh man, we're terrible. This yeah, is definitely this is staying in.
1: This, you know, it's because we're not taping at a normal time. So we're off the rails already.
0: That's exactly it. Uh, Bomb, like, as I was saying, the jury is still out over whether Ariane Lipsky is going to fulfill any of the promise she had as a, frankly, hyped and prized free agent coming to the ufc a couple years ago yeah, hold on a second is the jury really out is it still out the only reason the jury is still out is because of mandy bomb oh, okay, one enough, fair one, enough. one shining night
1: okay, okay fair one
0: enough. shining moment she made ariani lipski look like the ksw ariani lipski that's, true, that's Lipsky true beat the crap out of bomb 10-8 uh, third round easily second round probably could have been 10-8 everything Lipsky threw at her, landed. She busted her up. She did the kind of takedowns where she just kind of grabbed a kick and just flung her to the canvas. It was the the whole violence queen thing that she had in KSW. And when this ends up being Ariane Lipsky's last UFC win and she goes on to, like, lose, you know, four more in a row before they cut her, we'll have Mandy Baum to thank for that. All this long way around to saying – I don't know how they came up with odds for this, you know, this is a rough matchup, but to me, it is someone in Leonardo that is going to want to grapple and going to try to grapple versus somebody in bomb that is probably going to try to stay away and pot shot. And in that between two, you know, frankly, marginal, uh, talents, I am going to lean with the one who wants to get it to the ground. So I uh, give me Leonardo by decision in a mild upset, I guess,
1: yeah, I, I, uh, it's funny when I, when I think of Leonardo, it, she's only two, zero and two in the UFC, and I'm shocked by that because I, probably because you've seen her on, you know, Invicta and seen her in, you know, the all the, the contender series. And I feel like she she's a veteran of the UFC, like she's been around for a long time. Uh, the one thing I'll say about Leonardo is, and I agree with everything you said, like about this being lower level fighters. The one thing, when I was looking at her record, she has four losses. Her four losses are to Miranda Maverick, Aaron Blandfield, Manon Farrow, and Melissa Gatto. Like, she's lost to really good people. Like, she hasn't lost to a Mandy Bomb level fighter. So that's like the one thing she has going for her. Now, she she definitely is a minus athlete. But the the one thing you said she's not big, I I disagree with that. Like, she's a brute. Like, she's a physically strong. She's ripped up. Like, she's got like. I'm sure I'm surprised you're not really into it. Cause she's got some good arms. Like she's got some ripped up arms. Uh, she's, she's flat footed. I, I described when I did my contender series preview on her is that she's a boxer that throws kicks. She's not a flowing kickboxer. Uh, no. she, she gets, she, she likes to wants the box in the pocket. She's one of the ones she, she kind of chases the KO instead of just letting it happen. Um, She has a lot of defensive holes. She keeps her chin high in the air. She keeps her head on the center line. She doesn't check uh, kicks from the outside because she's a bigger one. She does have a large arsenal of kicks, uh, but they're more. And I said this on a preview. They're more like round winners than they are damaging. They're just kind of like kind of like when Courtney Casey throws kicks. Like, you know, she's not going to hurt you. She's just going to kind of score points with it. Uh, She she does. The one thing she does do good is she fights with a lot of pressure. She knows her best avenue of victory is to march forward. Uh, if, if she's struggled, if she's kind of bullied back on her back foot, that's where she kind of struggles. If she gets in the clinch, she's strong in the clinch, uh, kind of can grind on an opponent user size, uh, land some short inside elbows. She'll drop down to a takedown. She can also shoot from the outside, though I don't think she's, she's not strong, but she's physically strong. So she's pretty good uh, defense Similar to like what we just saw in Lauren Murphy. Lauren Murphy just like out-muscled. Uh, takedowns from Misha tate That's kind of what she can do. Uh, and if you take it on, she's hard to hold down from the top. Uh, looks more to do damage than to some, uh, look for subs. And, and I actually think our card is weapon. So I actually think I'm, I just talked myself into liking Victoria Leonardo. I actually had a lot more positive to say about her, uh, than I thought it was. Uh, uh, bomb. It's, it's surprising how old she is. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it true that she's 32 cuz when you look at pictures of her she looks like she's 16 <laughs> like
0: and I remember seeing her in her debut and she looked young you know is it or is it
1: like or is it like that is, is many bomb is, is she like that that girl who's on like Facebook or Instagram and and all her pictures are from like 12 13 years ago but that's like when they look the best so they don't update no, it no I,
0: I you you would <laughs> like, think that might be it, but no i remember seeing her actually fight no she looks she looks young. She's
1: so baby-faced.
0: Uh, yeah. But,
1: it's, yeah, it, for someone who's supposed to be a prospect, being 32 uh, is a little troublesome. Uh, what she does good, she's a boxer. She has good output. Uh, i she's pretty accurate, um, fairly fast, but lacks – I think she lacks power. Um, she she likes to kind of beat the her opponent to the point of the attack, and that's mostly with a jab. But she's got a lot of defense holes. You mentioned she drops her hands, lacks head movement. Uh, Ariana Lipsky was – Beating her up. She, she besides throwing her to the ground twice, she rocked her on the feet a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh bomb is also ripped up a little bit. Like she looks like she's physically strong. And when she's gotten to the like the plum clinch, uh, she does have like a little bit of mean streak in there, but she's a weak defensive wrestler. Uh, and she's not much of a submission threat if it goes to the ground. She has two submissions. Um she has two submissions on her. I mean, she's got a little younger fighter, so maybe that'll improve. But uh, this this is a tough pick because they're both low level fighters, but we're both on the same upset pick. I'm going Leonardo too. I I, I think Bomb might be the better boxer, but Leonardo I think has the pressure and the output to beat her in the standup. Plus, I think Bomb will finally face someone who's just so much physically stronger than her. I see the output and the mixture of takedowns from Leonardo leading to a, I guess, also a slight upset decision win.
0: Next up at UFC London is a lightweight matchup between two gentlemen who are both one and three in the UFC, but the similarities kind of end there. It is Jai Herbert versus Kyle Nelson. Herbert, the 34-year-old uh, from England, is 11-4 and four overall. As I said, he's one and three since joining the UFC as the former Cage Warriors lightweight champ. He has uh, lost to Francisco Trinaldo, Hinato Moicano, and Ilya Tapuria. Those sandwiched around a knockout win over Kama Worthy. Uh, his most recent outing, the loss to Tapuria, was at UFC Fight Night Volkov versus Aspinall, which was just the last UFC London back in March. Uh, he'll try to get back to his winning ways against Nelson. The 31-year-old Canadian is 13-4 and overall. He also won and three in the UFC. He also lost his first two, those against Diego Fajera and Matt Sales. Came back with a win over Marco Polo Reyes and uh, then lost his most recent outing. It was a third-round knockout at the hands of Billy Quarantillo. That was all the way back in September of 2020. So going on two years since we've seen Kyle Nelson in the cage. But here he is. He'll be there in London. Herbert. A pretty sizable favorite here. He's minus 275, Nelson plus 225. Uh, Keith, Jai Herbert is, I think, a better fighter than his record in the UFC indicates. And it is just that he has faced an absolutely brutal slate of <laughs> yeah. competition since he's been here. He has gotten yeah. no breaks. <laughs> what did he do with
1: the UFC brass? <laughs> like, okay.
0: Yeah. W- what did this man do? Man. He seems like a perfectly genial fellow they give him francisco trinaldo he loses that one well how about hadnan Moicano? loses that one his super bounce back fight is Kama worthy who came into yeah. the ufc and was just knocking people out left and right <laughs> he wins that one and they give him straight to Ilya Teporia. Uh, yeah of the it's like next okay. in the division
1: it's like how dare you win let's give him Teporia. he wins he wins he wins this fight next they're going to give him friggin' francis Ngano. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they hate Herbert.
0: <laughs> they do not like him. Uh, nonetheless, he's a the favorite here, substantial favorite for the first time in his UFC run, as he's finally taking on someone who's less proven than himself and has been away for a long time. On top of that, uh, how do you see this fight going, and who do you think gets it done?
1: Yeah, this is I, it's actually a really fun matchup. I think I think it's a both guys are action guys, both guys are powerful strikers. Um, Herbert, he he is a plus athlete. Uh, light on his feet, he's an he's an outside fighter who works behind a really good jab. Uh, his straight shots on the pipe are really good. Uh, I like when when he follows up and gets in the pocket. He starts looking for like slicing elbows. He's, he showed that he has power in both of his hands. He dropped Trinaldo in, there in his UFC debut, which is like <laughs> to, to yep. jump on it again. Like Francisco Trinaldo in your UFC debut, uh, he knocked out Worthy. Mm-hmm. He's a very underrated, solid offensive wrestler. He has some slick back takes. Uh, He likes to go to the body triangle because of these long legs. He's a weak defensive wrestler. I mean, we saw that against Hanato Moicano. Like, Moicano was taken down easily. And then the other negative you really have to worry about is now you have to worry about his chin because, I mean, Temporio knocked him into next week with the shot, which uh, is concerning, uh, you know, your return fight. Now, Nelson – He's an aggressive boxer. Like he's going to stay in your face. He throws a lot of power shots, his straight right kind of being his, his go-to. He throws it a lot, like very Dan Henderson, Josh Koscheck, trying to land that one big shot. He can throw a lot of winging power shots. I like that he goes down to the body. I like that he has a lot of kicks, calf kicks, though he does throw oftentimes naked leg kicks. And he's also someone you have to be worried about as shit. Now, he took a long layoff, but his last fight, he got one-punch walk-off by Billy Corintillo. Now, it was the third round. It was a little deeper in the fight. Uh But still. Gets in the clinch. Strong, dirty boxing. He will wrestle a little bit. Um he, he has four submission wins. But the one thing I don't like for a guy who's high output, he wasn't able to sustain it against Billy Quarantillo. Like, halfway through that fight, he was really starting to gas out. And that probably led to the knockout. Mm-hmm. Um, so...
0: And if you'll let me interject here worth sure. noting that that fight was at featherweight and that might've contributed to those problems. This one of course is at lightweight. So maybe, okay. He, yeah, that's fair maybe enough. Maybe that send it back point. to the drawing board.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. That's, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's one thing you focus on a lot. I don't focus on weight classes as much. That, that's a, that's a really, really good point. Um, man, we joke about the murderer's row that Jay Herbert, Jai Herbert has had to go through this is a step down but I like Nelson like the dude is a dog for sure like I, I think I think we're gonna have a striking war on our hands I think they're both going to go back and forth but I I think I'm gonna lean with Herbert I think he eventually is going to crumble I think he's gonna crumble on Nelson I think he's gonna find a big shot I'm gonna say he does in the second round so so hold on so let's go one0 for England on the night.
0: Keith takes his first slug of tea, uh, you know, on, on the UFC uh, London preview. Yeah, I'm with you in that this should be a really fun fight for as long as it lasts. Uh, Nelson is going to come forward and he's going to bring uh, a fight out of Herbert because you know, Herbert it has been at times willing to let the fight uh, come to him, uh, both in Cage Warriors and in the UFC. That won't be a problem against Nelson. He's definitely going to force the issue. I'll be interested to see if Herbert decides to use some of his underrated offensive wrestling against the guy who comes forward as aggressively as Nelson reactive level changes should be there for him. If he wants just, you know, just even just changing level and just snatching a a single, which he is capable of doing with his long arms. But I think this kind of favors Herbert everywhere. I think he's a little better at just about everything than Nelson is my concern with the, the quarantine fight for Nelson, which, Again, that's the last time we saw him, and it was almost two years ago. That in and of itself doesn't make me feel great. But the other thing that bothers me is that even before he gassed out and even before he got knocked out just seconds into the third round, he was kind of losing that fight anyway against a a decent featherweight in Quarantillo. And I feel as though Herbert is both bigger and has the potential to be better in his division. He's just been dealt a really rough hand so far. I see this as maybe an evening where jai herbert reminds us how electrifying he was in cage warriors how exciting he has been at moments in the ufc and gets things back on track in a big way give me jai herbert by second round tko Next up at UFC Fight Night 208 is a flyweight matchup between, oh, one of the UFC's shiniest young things, certainly one of its youngest things, and uh, a debuting prospect who's pretty promising in his own right. It is Mohamed Mokayev versus Charles Johnson. Mokayev, the 21-year-old Dagestani by way of Manchester, is 7-0 and with one no contest overall. He's 1-0 in the UFC, made his debut at the last UFC London in March. Took all of 58 seconds to throttle Cody Durden in front of an ecstatic hometown crowd. He comes back here three months later and tries to make it uh, 2-0 to start his UFC run. And facing him will be Charles Johnson. The 31-year-old Missouri native is 11-2 overall. He is making his uh, debut in the UFC, but he is the reigning or departing LFA flyweight champ. He is also one of the biggest underdogs on the card. He is out there around plus 370 right now. Mokaev minus 460 to minus 475 as the prohibitive favorite. Wow. Keith, I understand why Mokaev is such a huge favorite. He is, I mean, he's a shiny new thing. He's 21 years old. His athleticism is off the charts. He's, his, his good skill sets, his strengths, like his, his, Uh, grappling and and wrestling are both outstanding. He's a very good striker with blinding speed, good power. I understand why he's such a huge favorite. (laughs) He's
1: originally from Dagestan, which he's
0: originally from Dagestan, (laughs) but he's not like, you know, for those thinking, okay, you know, Dagestani by way of Manchester. No, he relocated to England in his teens. You know, like he's, he's lived and trained out of, uh, you know, out of the UK for, you know, good five or six years now, but Charles Johnson is a guy no, that I. think
1: how old was he when he when he went to England
0: he was like 15 or 16 when he started training yeah but
1: at that point he's already been wrestling bears for like nine years yeah
0: had a full <laughs> beard at that point <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> uh <clears throat> Charles Johnson I mean I'm I don't see him as like a future champ or even a future top 10 guy but he's a guy that I kind of expected to see on the contender series or in the UFC within the next year or so uh you know the first I remember seeing him was actually in a loss but it was to Brandon Royval a couple of years ago in LFA he gave Royval a hell of a fight you know he I thought he took a round off him uh he's given Royval a better fight than some highly regarded guys in the UFC have since but that fight also kind of laid bare his problems he's pretty big for a flyweight like he's a tall guy he's got muscle in the frame he's a big looking flyweight but he's slow for a flyweight. Like, his feet are fairly slow. I don't think his hands are very fast. The main problem he had with Roy Royval is that Roy Royval was just throwing three times his volume, and it just looked like he was running circles around him like something from a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Uh, that's going to that's gonna, uh, run him into problems in the speed kills UFC flyweight division. And it would be hard to think of a rougher guy to learn that lesson against the Muhammad Mukhaev, who is, again, blisteringly fast. My thought is, yeah, like this is a a good prospect against an elite prospect, maybe a super elite prospect. Mokaev is probably going to show us why he's almost a a five-to-one favorite here. But my guess is that this win for Mokaev ages well because Johnson sticks around and beats some pretty decent people uh, in in the UFC flyweight division, uh, even if his ceiling is nowhere near Mokaev's. Give me Muhammad Mokaev in this one. And you know what? Johnson's never been finished, and he's been in there with some guys who are not only very good flyweights but are finishers. So I'm going to say Makayev actually has to work for his supper this time. Give me a three-round, pretty one-sided decision, but Charles Johnson is still standing there proud at the end. Makayev by decision.
1: Yeah. Um, Makayev is – I mean, this kid is really
0: good. Um,
1: I mean, he, what he's a good blend. He has the talent, but he also has the personality in a division that's like dying for personality um, in a region that they, I mean, we've never had a flyweight from England. that were really, really, a, you know, exciting future star kind of thing. Uh, he, as you mentioned, his athleticism jumps off the page. Uh, I mean, look at the flying knee. It did Cody Durden. Uh, he's a guy that can, he, he fights with a lot of output, but he's very technically sound boxer. He uses feints really well to draw attacks where he can counter slip and rip style. He's got very fast hands. I love that he targets the body. Uh, he can get inside <clears throat> He can get inside and, and throw down and brawl and land some big shots. You mentioned he's from Dagestan, so you know he knows how to wrestle. A uh, very good wrestler, fast entries, smothering top control. He has three submission wins out of, what, six fights, which is a uh, really good percentage. Uh, Johnson... He is a good addition to the UFC. Like I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, he's an LFA champion. Like all, pretty much, LFA champions is as good as a pedigree you have coming into the UFC. And it's, and it's not often a guy making his debut as an LFA champion is like a five to one underdog. Uh, he's a he's a good kickboxer that he can fight at both stances. He uses a lot of movement. He's pretty light on his feet. Uh, good head movement. Good output. He kind of just touches. He slips well. Uh, he's more of like actually he slips. But he also like rolls with punches a lot, tons of kicks, uh, a lot of teep kicks. He likes these like long rangey teep kicks. He throws a lot of naked leg kicks though, uh, and and he's gonna have to change that. Uh, I do like that he throws a, a lot of step in these. He's not a wrestler, but he'll like, he'll he'll look to like catch a kick or something to get the fight to the canvas. He's got good grind and pound. He has three submission wins, but he's a weak defensive uh, wrestler. He has a pretty good up get up game, and I think it just. His overall output, he's always moving, working, always doing things. He has the cardio to go five rounds. We've seen that. He's gone five rounds. I mean, his last fight was a fifth-round stoppage, so cardio won't be an issue. Um, But as far as the prediction goes, like I said, Johnson isn't a good addition to the UFC. I mean, he could be a top 15-level talent uh, if he continues to improve. However, Mikhayev could be the champion. Like, that's how good he, his upside is. Uh, you sold me a little bit about it being that Johnson has never been stopped, and he's faced some really good talent. But you're going into you're, you're in your think about this. You're in your UFC debut. You're flying to the other side of the world, in this guy's hometown. The in a listen, you're not going to uh, Biloxi. You know you're going to England where the crowd is rocking from the very first no, no nothing against Biloxi. but you know the crowd's rocking from the second you walk in there they love their stars they love their people uh every punch every kick this guy lands the crowd's gonna be going crazy I see the aggression the power I want to say Makkave does it I'm gonna say Makkave gets a second round stoppage I'll say he gets it done by TKO and 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 hold on we're, we're counting we're counting uh, McKayev is England, right? Oh,
0: absolutely. Okay, yeah. All right. so let's the, go. The crowd's going to be counting them as England. Let's let's
1: go two two and zero. Oh.
0: Your other option is to take a shot of vodka, and we got eleven <laughs> more fights to talk about. So <laughs> yeah,
1: at the at, at the end, I'm not even picking the the main event. I'm i picking the referee.
0: Like yeah, definitely. We definitely aren't saying anything about Biloxi, though, because otherwise that's not far from me. And <laughs> BKFC Belcher is going to come over here and like pop my head clean off. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, nothing against Mississippi. We head now to the featherweight division where Maquan Amirkani will take on Jonathan Pierce. Amirkani, the 33 year old Finn training out of Dublin, Ireland, is 17 and 7 overall. He's 7 and 5 in the UFC. Uh, he is coming off a win. He choked Mike Grundy all the way to sleep at the last UFC London on uh, March 19th that puts an end to a three-fight losing streak for him against edson barboza camuela kirk and LaRon murphy he'll attempt to keep the good vibes going against the man who calls himself jsp pierce the 30-year-old tennessee native is 12 and 4 overall he's one and three since joining the ufc out of the third season of dana white's contender series no i apologize he's three and one since joining the ufc out of the third season of dana white's contender series uh he lost his debut Gave us one of the last shining examples of the mythical deadly creature known as first round Joe Lozon. Since then, he has been perfect with three straight wins over Kai Kamaka, Omar Morales, and Christian Rodriguez. The most recent of those, the Rodriguez win was a unanimous decision at UFC fight night Walker versus Hill back in February. Uh, Pierce is a comfortable favorite here. He's minus 220, Mr. Finland plus 175. Keith, I'm going to throw this fight to you for your pick first, but uh, whoever you think wins this fight and whatever you think happens next for both these guys, didn't never quite made it to the heights that the UFC hoped. I think they saw a bit of Conor McGregor Jr. in him. He's a guy from SBG Ireland. Uh, Obviously, he's a a grappler by preference where McGregor's a striker, but he's an exciting grappler. I'm had kind of a, a charming, cocky personality. Yeah. I mean, he calls himself Mr. Finland, yeah. like there's never been another fighter from, from Finland. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not the best judge, but I understand that he's a very good looking guy. <laughs> All the elements of stardom were there if he would just win some fights. And while he's won more than he's lost, he's never really strung together enough to generate excitement to go with the personality. Uh, nonetheless, does he get enough done here to, you know, maybe keep his job, keep the interest yeah. level, or is. Pierce have his number.
1: Yeah. So he's never got over that hump. Like he's, he beat the mid-level guys never could beat the top, top guys. Uh, but being like a, you know, more than two to one underdog against Jonathan Pierce. That's really surprising. Um, especially cause then he just won his last fight in first round stoppage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Americani, as you mentioned, uh, he's a grappler, but on the feet, he's a southpaw that he, he stays busy with a jab. He kind of throws it from his hips, bit of an, an up jab. Um, but all his striking is just to close the distance. Where he's a very aggressive wrestler. I've said it before. He, like he'll shoot a thousand times. Uh, he has fast entries, but he doesn't really set him up with because of his lack of his striking. Um, in the fight against Laron Murphy, Laron Murphy hurt him because of his lack of his striking. Uh, if he does get to fight to the ground, he's pretty strong on the ground. He does have a good top game, strong ground and pound. Uh, he has a submission threat. He's got 13 subs in his career. Uh, he loves to attack uh, in scrambles. Anaconda chose dark chokes. I mean, we saw that in his last fight against Mike Grundy where he caught him in a dark choke. Um, but because such an aggressive, heavy grappling style, he has gassed out in the past. And and, and he has – and you got to be a little worried about his chin because he has taken – loads of damage. I mean, uh, Edson Barbosa, Jason Knight, Shane Burgos, Burgos, Lerone Murphy. Like they've all had a lot of success landing big, big shots on them. Uh, so that's concerning as he, and he's also getting up there at age now. Uh, Jonathan Pierce, <laughs> Pierce was a guy uh, I've come around on Pierce. Uh, he's, he's better than I thought he was uh, when he first debuted. I mean, the guy, if you had any conference, when you get smoked by Joel Lazan. on, at that point in Joe Lausanne's career, uh, you, you kind of lose all confidence in the guy. But he has shown improvement in each fight. Uh, he's a much better athlete than I thought he was. On the feet, busy jab. Uh, he follows him up with strong, straight shots down the pipe. He'll even toss out like a flying knee because he just wants to pressure you back to get you to the cage where he can close the distance uh, um, and get some takedowns. Uh, he does throw some, a lot of kicks, especially the body, um, and that's because he doesn't mind you kind of grabbing a kick and, and creating a scramble. Uh, he will close the distance, grind against the clinch. He's a bigger guy, kind of uses his size in those close quarter, uh, lands some striking, some knees up the middle. Uh, he will look for some body lock takedowns. Um, that's more where he gets to fight to the ground, kind of drag you down to the ground. He's not an explosive wrestler um, where he kind of like drives through your hips, but he has that determination and mindset to get the fight to the ground uh, I've seen him throw out some suplexes, which, uh, when he was on the regional scene stuff, I, you know, I hate that. I just think it's a waste of energy, but it, the fight hits the ground, he's got some good top control, uh, very, um, like pin you down first before he, he looks to wear you down, uh, with some ground and pound. He does have some good ground and pound after he wears you down a little bit. Uh, when he is taken down, he's pretty good at getting back up. As far as predictions go, I think this is a tough fight to pick um, because they have similar styles. Um, if you told me three years ago they were fighting, I would take Americani with tons of confidence. Um, I'm still worried about Pierce shooting a takedown on Americani and getting caught with a guillotine, getting caught with a dark stroke, something in a scramble. Um, but I, I'm going to go with Pierce. Uh, he's younger, he's bigger. Uh, he looks like the fighter that's getting better at this point in his career, and he has the deeper gas tank. So um, give me Paris to land a little bit more on the feet, uh, maybe win some grappling exchanges late. Uh, I'm taking a win by a decision, but I'm taking it with not a lot of confidence, especially not, would you say, negative 225? Like, I'm not that confident in that.
0: I, I know we're kind of looking for the first time. We really disagree on this card. This ain't it. I agree that the line should be a little closer Uh, while Amrakhani's last outing, you know, at UFC London back in March was super short. It was, it was pretty heartening. Just if nothing else, he showed up in good shape. He showed up motivated. He was aggressive and he did the thing that Amrakhani wins fights with, you know, he's, he's a good offensive wrestler, but he's also just, you know, very aware and opportunistic when opportunities present themselves for himself to uh, get opponents in submission trouble. I'm tempted to take him over Pierce here. Like Pierce still makes mental mistakes that a veteran like Amrakani can definitely take advantage of to tap him out or at least to win rounds. But you're right. Pierce is younger. He's, he feels like someone who's still improving where Amrakani at best has plateaued. This is a step up for Jonathan Pierce. I mean, 3-0, and or a three-fight win streak is a three-fight win streak in the UFC lightweight division. There are any easy outs in that division are, relatively speaking, but Kai Kamaka, Omar Morales, and Christian Rodriguez, like, the jury's still out on Rodriguez, but Kamaka and Morales were both in the midst of, like, long winless runs or, like, long like one-in-five runs when Pierce got them. If the Amrakani that we get here is the one that we saw back in March – this will be the toughest challenge of Pierce's UFC run. I'm just picking him to be up to the challenge. Amrakani remains tough, remains uh, durable. Unless he really gasses himself out and Pierce is just able to pelt him to death late. I do see this going to the judges. But give me Pierce by pretty clear-cut decision. And I don't think it goes to the to the ground very often unless Pierce wants it there. We stay in the men's featherweight division for a matchup between Nathaniel Wood and Charles Rosa. Wood, the 28 year old uh, from London, is 17 and 5 overall. He's 4 and 2 since joining the UFC as the outgoing Cage Warriors bantamweight champ. He has uh, alternated wins and losses in his last four uh, wins over Jose Alberto Quinones and John Casaneda, balanced against losses to John Dodson and Casey Kenny. The most recent of those, the Kenny loss, was at UFC 254 back in October of 2020. So it has been a little over 18 months since we've seen Wood. Uh, he gets back against Rosa. Rosa, a 35-year-old from Peabody. Is Peabody greater Boston, Keith? Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, otherwise, Boston Strong was a deceptive nickname. So, Well, I don't know if he's strong or not. Well, you, strong know what
1: you, know, you know what I've said about... <laughs> it's pretty ironic for the guy who does his training camps and has lived in New England in a really long time, uh, to have the Boston nickname. Yeah.
0: At any rate, Rosa 14 and seven overall five and seven since joining, uh, the UFC a few years back for the most part, he's alternated wins and losses, but he is mired in the first losing streak of his career. Those coming against Damon Jackson last October at UFC fight night during versus, uh, Rodriguez, and uh TJ Brown who took a unanimous decision over him back in January at UFC on ESPN Cater versus Chikadze. Uh Wood another one of the bigger favorites on the card. He is minus 450, Rosa plus 360 as the underdog. Keith uh Nathaniel Wood, you know, uh stepping up to featherweight here. I mean, he's Do you think do you think it was the right move to move up to Featherweight. Do you think he had finally hit a ceiling at 135? And do you think he gets it done here against Rosa?
1: Yeah, I got to correct myself. I just looked up where Peabody is. It's actually a lot more north than I thought it was. It's like 25 minutes from downtown Boston. So I don't know if that counts as great. So I could be yeah. wrong.
0: I, uh, I mean, East it's Coast close, is so funny, man. It's
1: close, to, it's close to Lynn, and Lynn is definitely great at Boston. So maybe.
0: I'm 40 minutes from downtown Houston, and there are three <laughs> more suburbs north of me that people commute all the oh, way into town. Probably. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm so, um, uh, sorry. What was the question you asked me?
0: Do you think the move uh, for Nathaniel Wood up to featherweight was the right move? And who do sure. you think wins here?
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I'm especially at, at a younger age. I'm okay with that. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't care about a guy moving weight classes at, at that point of their career. It's it's the late move where it's like. When it's desperation, like he's, he's on a nice little, uh, nice little run right now. So, um, wait, 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 let's see. How many, how many fights has he won? Oh, he lost his last fight. He lost to Katie Kenny. What am I, tell, am I talking about? You even said that. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you know what happened? He was supposed to fight Vince Morales and Morales pulled out. And I think I just put it in my head that that was a win for him. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm all screwed up. I screwed up on Peabody. Uh, yeah, it's it's always good to go up in weight class if your opponent's going to be Charles Rosa. <laughs> that's that's always a good idea. Um, uh, Charles Rosa, uh, what can I say about Charles Rosa? Uh, he, he's he's got this karate bladed stance style. Where he's pretty light in his feet. He's got good movement. He's pretty elusive. Has a lot of variety of strikes, like um, where he kind of attacks with a lot of things, but they're very single strikes, uh, very point style. Uh, his best strike is probably that Holly Holmes sidekick, mm-hmm. uh, but he's kind of slow. His hands are slow. Uh, he's taken god awful amount of damage. I mean, um, Kyle Bosniak beat him up a little bit, Shane Burgos beat him up, Bryce Mitchell um Derek Miner, uh, everybody has beat him up. uh he, that's because he hangs his hands low uh and, and he's not that fast. He will shoot for a takedown, but he isn't a powerful wrestler and he's a weak defense wrestler. Now he's a he's a Brazilian just black belt, but legit, I have no clue how he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I mean he he did get a submission against Manny Bermudez once. And and then like that changed the narrative about Charles Rosa, where he was like this great grappler, but the dude has been mauled on the ground by everybody else, like not just beaten, mauled. Bryce Mitchell, Derek Minner, Damian Jackson, T.J. Brown, they didn't break a sweat against him on the ground. Um, he can't get off bottom, and then as the fight goes on, the grappling, and he's losing. This chance of him getting up from bottom becomes less and less as he starts to fade. Um, I was just looking like he recently had a grappling match, and he lost that too, and it was to Julio Cesar Chavez. Isn't 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 that a boxer? Is, it, is I, it? I'm guessing it's not the same one like, because like it, it, it wouldn't shock me if Charles Rosa lost the grab. Like, if Charles Rosa lost the grapple match to like Shane Mosley or Floyd Mayweather, like, okay, like, all right, maybe I'll favor him over Floyd Mayweather in a grappling match. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm gonna get my ass kicked by Charles Rosa one day just because I'm always bashing him on this network. He's like a, really know nice it's a pretty
0: good drive from Peabody.
1: Yeah, yeah, at least I got a little bit of time. <laughs> he's, he's like a really nice guy. He's at the local fights and stuff. Um, he's never done anything wrong with me. I've done interviews with him. he's a super nice guy, but I just, I'm not a fan of his style. Like he's, he's I just don't think he should, I think he should be fighting as a name in CES. I don't think he should be in the UFC anymore. Um, as far as Nathaniel Wood, he's been out for so long that I forgot about him. And then I said to give him wins that he didn't have. <laughs> because that's how long he's been out. Um, it's from we last seen him, he's a good striker. He's long and lengthy, uh, pretty crisp jab. Uh, he's one of the guys who actually leads a lot with his power shots. Uh, he likes to avoid shots with shoulder rolls, uh, deep kicks up the middle. He mixes kicks and punches in well. He's an underrated wrestler. He looks for body lock takedowns, trips inside stuff. Uh, he will shoot from the outside, but he's he's yeah you know, he's he's from from England, so he's not this powerful wrestler. But he's got some slick grappling, um, good submission game. He's got five submissions. So Nathaniel Wood is solid, being that he's now 28 and probably now entering his prime. Uh, you got to like him. He's been out for a long time, so uh, it's had it's hard to have a lot of confidence in him. And would and you say he was as a favorite? Negative uh, one.
0: -450. Minus
1: Minus -450. Like I was going to say that he shouldn't be a, you know, my classic line, he shouldn't be a -450 fighter against anybody. But then I realize he's fighting Charles Rosa. Anybody with any top side grappling game, which Nathaniel Wood has, should mm. should be a massive favorite against Charles Rosa at this point in their career. I expect Wood to close the distance, take the fight to the ground, take Rosa down. Um and the fight looks like pretty much of all Rosa's recent fights. Give me Wood in a lopsided decision.
0: I wish I had some disagreement for you here, but I I really don't. And I do think the move up to 145 is probably the best thing for Wood. I, even his last fight, the Casey Kenny fight, I'd forgotten. That was at 140-pound catch weight. And while he lost to Kenny, it for one thing, it was a very close fight, like a, a number of Uh, media members that whose opinions I respect scored that one for wood and
1: which says a lot because Casey Kenny's good
0: yeah and that's the other thing Casey Kenny is good and it's not like wood lost that because he was undersized you know Kenny's another kind of pretty big bantamweight they both agreed to fight at 140 I like this as a move for him
1: (laughs) sorry to interrupt you I know I'm terrible at it I'm sorry it should be a drinking game hit a shot anytime I interrupt you uh Right. Don't forget, Casey had kind of used to be a, which is funny that he's bigger, band weight, He used to be a
0: flyweight, which ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, I am with you. Like the the key to the blueprint for beating Charles Rosa in the UFC has kind of been laid out there. Uh, or really, the, the fights he's won, it's either been people who've kind of let him do a slow paced like point kickboxing match on the feet and win rounds that way, or people who haven't even tried to get it to the ground. But you're right. All the decent grapplers he's fought have really, really dominated him down there. The Bryce Mitchell one, obviously, one of the first real eye-opening fight night moments of the COVID era, because we could hear the two of them talking to each other. But uh, Damon Jackson just dominated him with uh, wrestling and grappling. Wood certainly has that avenue to victory here, and I expect him to do so rosa remains pretty tough to finish i mean bryce mitchell made him into a pretzel but couldn't finish him you know we're talking about mitchell who was like between twistering two different people i think and couldn't do that to charles rosa just kind of had to settle for a lopsided win so i do expect this to reach the judges but yeah would buy a lopsided decision
1: england england three and oh
0: next up the lightweights take the cage as it is Mark jakey versus Damir Hadzovic. jakeze the 29 year old uh, Brit is 15 and five overall he's six and five in the UFC he did win his last time out he fought at uh UFC on ESPN blades versus Dawkus back in March uh taking a unanimous decision over Slava borshavov one of the kind of buzzier prospects from last season of Dana White's Contender Series, but he uh, squashed some of that buzz that allowed him to turn things around from back-to-back losses to Rafael Faziv and Rafael Alves. He'll try to keep the wins going against Hajovic. The 35-year-old Bosnian is 14-6 and overall. He is Four and four in the UFC. He also is coming off a win. Uh, his a unanimous decision over Yancy Medeiros a year ago at UFC Fight Night Gone versus Volkov. For him, as well as Jacquezi, that put the brakes on a two-fight losing streak. He had lost back-to-back fights to Christos Yagos and Henato Moicano. So uh, he also looking to start a win streak. He is not favored to do so. Jacquezi minus 300 as the favorite. Hedjevic plus 240 as the underdog. Keith, I'm going to throw this to you first, but every time I have to do film study on Mark Takezi, anytime he has a fight coming up, anytime, just anytime I'm forced to think about the guy, I'm always struck by two things. I'm always surprised at how young he is. I just, I always expect him to be about five years older than he is. And I'm always surprised at how good he is compared to his UFC record. Like he's barely over 500 in the UFC right now. He's six and five until he, until he beat Borstov, He was, you know, he was five and five in the UFC, but on the right night, he just, he looks like a guy who could be a contender. And then I think, Oh, but it's too late for that. He's 36. I'm like, no, he's 28. Well, I mean, he's 29 now, like, Am I out of my mind? Do I need to give up on, uh, on Mark to as a potential top 15 lightweight and who gets it done here?
1: Honestly, you asked the wrong guy because, um, he does that to you. Like every time you give up on him, he'll he'll have a really good showing in his next fight. And, um, he's that's cause he's well-rounded. He's athletic. He can fight out of both stances. He's he's quick. So, like, those are good things he does. And then he has moments where he just looks terrible. He has low output, um, like, trigger shy. Uh, some of the things he does do good. He, he has got a really good right hand. He can work the body really good. Things that he does bad. His his power is grossly overrated. It, like, yes, he's got some knockouts, but uh, the, the UFC commentator always, we said this about him before, they make him seem like he's, you know, a heavyweight out there landing on guys. Uh, he's got really good calf kicks. He, get, he gets inside. He can land some mean elbows, some stepping knees. Uh, those are good things. Uh, one thing I really liked in his last fight is he showed he can wrestle. Like, where did that come from? He got 11 takedowns on his last fight. Uh, obviously, if he, he got 11 takedowns, he probably needs to improve on some of his top control. <laughs> that means his opponent was be able to get up a lot. Uh, but overall, that was something I really liked. Strong takedown defense, um, really quickly get back to his feet. But going back, he he has been caught in submissions. Uh, uh, and Daniel Hooker both caught him with a, with a guillotine, which is a little troublesome. Now, Hatsovic, I mean, for being honest, he's pretty much just a journeyman. Um, he, you know, UFC level journeyman, obviously, I'm talking yeah. about like he, uh, he he does do some things I like. He's a pressure fighter that marches forward with good volume. Tight strikes down the middle. I think it's t- inside tight. Um, throws a lot of power shots. Uh, I, I One note I had him for a while that I love his, like, wraparound shots. Like, he'll kind of hand fight and then wrap things around uh, his opponent's defense. Uh, I like his step stepping knees. Uh, he has a high guard defense, which um, – I don't like because he backs straight up. That that's a little worse than him. he will sneak in a takedown, and that's because he's a very physically strong guy. I mean he's a bigger guy, but he's got weak takedown defense. Uh he, he's hard to hold down, so that's that's good. But when he's faced higher level competition like a Hanato Moyconley, he was quickly, quickly uh submitted. And even like a guy like Yancey Medeiros, a fight that he that um like favors him. He even he gassed out of the fight where that was troublesome. Like he was he was gassing late. So, um, you ask, should someone give up on Dia Casey? I have. Uh, it's hard to have any confidence on him. But if if I'm betting, I'm really staying away from this because Hatzivik could easily just pressure him and outpoint him. Like that wouldn't shock me. But Dia Casey should win. Like he's more technically sound fighter now that he wrestles. I feel much better about that. Like. He has this huge, you know, route to victory with his wrestling. So between being the, probably the better striker, um, the more explosive athlete, um, probably still has the power, and then definitely has the wrestling advantage. Um, give me, give me Mark De Casey. What's that? Is it four now? Is it three or four? Four, four and zero for England. Uh,
0: one, two, three, four. This is five.
1: F- five and zero for England. Okay, I'm sorry.
0: Or no, wait a minute. No, y- you didn't pick uh, Amerkani. I was counting him since he trains at. SBA oh no! So it's just more. No, no. Yeah,
1: he, he's, his name is Mister Finland.
0: Yeah, Herbert, Makayev, Wood, and now Jacasey. All right. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up the kind of newfound wrestling wrinkle. It's especially heartening because he did it against someone in Slava Borshchov who presented as a knockout striker. I mean, that's how he made waves at on the Contender series, and it's what he had shown on his way up. And Jokiczy was like, "I'm bigger and stronger than this guy." I can probably take him down. He did it effortlessly over and over again. You pointed out there's a little too much rinse and repeat to really be thrilled about it. Uh, I'm sure against someone, you know, with a little better scramble ability, he could have ended up like gassing himself out. But I like that as an avenue to victory against Hedjavich here. He might be able to win a nip and tuck, low volume striking battle on the feet. Some of his UFC wins have been like that, but... If he decides to embrace this newfound wrestling, I think that's a way for him to win this fight pretty easily. Either way, I do favor him as well. But like you, I don't feel three to one comfortable about it. But nonetheless, give me D'Kasey by decision. Next up at UFC London, and at least as the card is currently constituted, the top prelim at UFC London is a uh, quickly thrown together matchup between Mason Jones and Ludovic Klein. Jones, the 27 year old Welshman, is 11 and 1 with 1 no contest. Overall, he is 1 and 1 with 1 no contest since joining the UFC as a former two division champ in Cage Warriors. Uh, he was previously the lightweight and welterweight champ there. He most recently took a unanimous decision over short notice opponent David Onama at uh, UFC fight night Costa versus Vittori last October. Uh, Onama, a typical featherweight who stepped up on short notice to take that fight. Nonetheless, that's a, a win that certainly is continuing to age well for Jones. He'll try to keep things going against, uh, well, he is the short notice opponent here, I guess, because Ludovic Klein was supposed to fight Ignacio Baamondes at UFC 277 on July 30th. Baamondes fell out of that fight. So Klein moved up by a week to the 23rd and to London. Jones steps in to fight him. Uh, Klein, the... 27 year old Slovak is 18 and four overall. He is an even two and two since joining the UFC. uh, Wins over Shane Young and Devontae Smith, sandwiched around a pair of losses to Mike Trezano and Nate Landwehr. The most recent uh, fight that win over Smith was back in March at UFC 272. Jones, one of the bigger favorites on the card. Well, I should stop saying that about three to one favorites because this card is full of three to one favorites. Jones. A big favorite minus 340 Klein plus 260 on the comeback. Uh, before I hand this to you, worth noting about Klein that he's two and two in the UFC, but both of his losses were at featherweight. When he has fought either at lightweight, as he did in his uh, most recent fight against Devonte Smith, or at uh, 150 pound catch weight, as he did in his debut against Shane Young, he's actually won. Here he's at 155, where he's well. Undefeated in the UFC, so I guess we'll see. Keith, does he keep it going?
1: Uh, he, he might, man. This is a really, really good fight. Like, I can't believe Mason Jones is that big of a favorite. I think I'm higher inclined than most people are. Um, he's an athletic southpaw that's light on his feet, pretty technically sound. He uses feints really well, works behind a very crisp jab, good power. Uh, he, and that's because he keeps his legs on him. He always wins in the leg battle, um, the, fo- the foot position, I, I should say, so he can land some good shots, good calf kicks, uh, oh, well, good kicks in general, but he likes to target the calves. Uh, his last fight, crushing body kicks. Uh, he throws some crushing high kicks. Um, the thing that is worrisome is his inconsistency on the ground. I mean, against Mike Trezano, he looked terrible on the ground, and, and that's actually funny. I thought he, I still thought he should have won that fight. Um, but he <clears throat> he did land some takedowns that fight himself, which is good. But the one that was really impressive was his last fight against Devontae Smith. He stuffed takedowns from Devontae Smith, which made you feel a lot better about his ground game and just him overall as a fighter because of that. Now, Mason Jones is another guy I really like. High output, pressure counter striker. He's a good boxer. He keeps everything inside tight, nice jab, very slip and rip style. Um he gets in the pocket. When he slips the shot, he gets in. Counters with combinations. I'd say plus power. He's a good wrestler. Nice entries. Gets the fight to fight the ground. Strong ground and pound. Uh, if he is taken down, he, he he does well to work back to his feet. He does have two submission wins. Th- this is one of my favorite fights, just stylistically on the whole card. Like I love this fight. If bad wrestling Klein shows up, then Mason could easily win this fight if he goes to wrestling. But if good wrestling Klein shows up, That kicking game is a big problem, especially Jones' style just walking through, eating some of those shots, especially if he walks right into a head kick or something. uh, Like, Klein could put him out. I really want to take Klein in a pretty big upset, and, um, man, I really do want to take him. But he needs to show me that that he can stuff some takedowns, that he can deal with the pressure of Jones. I I feel much better, as you mentioned, him fighting at 155. I feel much better that he's – taking the fight uh with a full camp and jones is taking the fight on short notice but with that wrestling advantage and the output i'm gonna go with jones by decision
0: i love that you see the uh the kind of upset upside in klein here because i see it for the same reasons you do primarily primarily because klein is working on a near full camp for this you know moving it up by a week shouldn't throw things that far out of whack, especially considering that he's not having a featherweight weight cut to, to deal with. And then, you know, we did the preview for the Jones versus Onama fight last October where Onama stepped up like uh, glory MMA guys do on like six days notice to fight uh, one of the hottest prospects in the UFC. And we both came out of that on the recap saying that, yeah, Jones won, but if anything, Onama might've helped his stock in a lot good though and part onama oh, is good but part of it is down to mason jones's as you mentioned tendency to walk through his opponent's offense to to land his own you know it means his fights are usually exciting but they can be exciting to his detriment like his no contest against alan patrick he was on his way to winning that fight but Alain Patrick had more moments than he should have in the first round for an aged and shot fighter who otherwise would be in the middle of like a five fight losing streak. Like that ended on an eye poke, but Patrick was like looking better than he had against a lot of his other recent opponents. And it's again, because Jones just never met a piece of his opponent's offense on the feet that he, he didn't want to try to like, you know, sample that spells trouble for me against climb. Even though he is a two to one favorite here, I'm going to take a, a little bit of a flyer, And take Klein to land more offense, uh, at least more significant offense. Jones always throws uh, plenty of volume, but Klein's strikes are going to be the ones that hurt, look like they hurt. It doesn't help that Mason Jones, you know, probably gets a sunburn from, like, his cell phone if he looks at it at night. Mm -hmm. He's one of those, like, Welsh. Yeah, well, he's he's one of those, those, like, strawberry blonde Welsh dudes that he is bright red and looks like he's been hit by a truck after 90 seconds of pretty much every fight so if Klein starts landing those leg kicks the ufc booth is going to be talking about look his leg is already black and blue he's bright red uh and i don't know if on this kind of short altered training camp if jones is going to have what it takes to walk through that on his way to a win over a guy that's been on a full camp so give me in a Fairly substantial upset. Ludovic Klein by uh by decision.
1: Yeah, I like it, man. This this fight should be a pick 'em. That's what I I don't get the line. The, I feel like this fight should be a pick 'em.
0: I'm I think I'm overcompensating because I've picked against Klein in both of his wins, and I'm like I'm not falling for this again. Because <laughs> even now, part of me is like, you know, he's a short and compact guy at featherweight. That's going to be even more so at lightweight. But then you know what? So is Rafael Elfaziev, and he's doing all right. So yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sticking with the Klein pick. If if I like I'm wrong, it. I'm wrong. But no, I like yeah. it. The six fight main card of UFC Fight Night 208 kicks off with a light heavyweight matchup. Keith, all I'm going to say is Paul Craig and Alexander <laughs> Gustafson are both Craig. on this card, and one of them is ranked. Yeah. <laughs> and it ain't Alexander Gustafson.
1: Paul fucking Craig. <laughs> uh,
0: Paul fucking Craig. I love it. I love it. Paul Craig. I love it. Spiky. Paul Craig is fighting former UFC title challenger, Vulcan Uzdemir, and he is the red corner, the A-side of this fight, the <laughs> higher-ranked fighter. That's fantastic. Paul fucking Craig.
1: I love, everything Paul- about I, I love everything about him. I love the Be- painted face. I love the in-your-face in the, in, your face in the stand. I love everything about this guy. Dude,
0: It's Paul Craig versus Vulcan Uzdemir. Craig, the 34-year-old Scott, is 16-4-1 overall. He is 8-4-1 in the UFC. He is on a four-fight winning streak. Those four coming over Murad Antigulov, over Mauricio Shogun in a rematch of their draw that was the, his last fight before this win streak, over Jamal Hill, and most recently, back at, Again, the first UFC London card, Nikita Krylov, whom he triangled late in the first round.
1: Ironic, he, I, sorry, ironic that Krylov is higher up on
0: this card than he is. It is ironic that Krylov is higher up on the on the card than he is. Uh, he's going to try Jamal to make Hill it, play,
1: that Jamal Hill win has aged well too.
0: Yes, yes, it has. We'll get to that for sure. Uh, he's going to try to make it five in a row against Uzdemir, the 30 year old uh, Swiss. Light heavyweight is seventeen and six overall. He is an even five and five in the UFC. He's on a two-fight losing streak. In fairness to him, those are against your champ Yuri Prohaska, and maybe your next champ or your champ in the near future, Magomed Ankalaev. The most recent of those, the Ankalaev fight, was a unanimous decision loss at UFC 267 back last October. Uh, despite the losing streak. The two-fight losing streak versus the five-fight win streak, despite Craig being active while Uzdemir has fought twice in the last two years, Uzdemir is the slight favorite here. He is minus 150, Craig plus 125. And Keith, that is because as slow as I was to learn my lesson about Paul Craig, (laughs) apparently other fans out there are even slower than me. Because, yeah. again, the bookmakers aren't pulling these numbers out of their ass. They are coming up with a number that, uh-huh. if it doesn't say who they think will win, it's designed to bring in action on both sides. Yep. And for whatever reason, there's enough people out there to make Vulcan Uzdemir a minus 150 favorite here. And I frankly don't get it. Because we've been doing these previews long enough that we remember when Paul Craig was a one-trick pony. Yeah. His, his whole MO was to get his ass kicked and pull out a hail Mary submission yeah. sometimes in the second round, but most often in the third round or with one second left in the third round as when he <laughs> taps out Ankalyev right. in, you know, again, one of the more shocking uh, fights of that year, but that is not Paul Craig anymore. He used to be a terrible striker uh. that, Oh, let me get like, <laughs> he he's always been slow on his feet. He's always had slow hands. He has gone from being an absolutely terrible striker to being a, a serviceable striker. He's not, he's, it's no longer a, just a horrible liability for him. Uh, he is more importantly, he's shored up some of his defensive problems and his approach on the feet. Like, he, I don't know if he's like a better striker, I don't lo- know if he looks any better hitting the bags in the gym now than he did in 2017. But I know that he no longer just marches forward and get gets just chewed up like going headfirst into a wood chipper in all of his fights. Uh, you know, he's a little more patient on the feet. He positions himself a, a little better. I mean, obviously the Jamal Hill fight ended kind of quickly and strangely. But there are versions of Paul Craig that would have been knocked out by Jamal Hill in that amount of time anyway. He's not that guy anymore. There, there are versions of Paul Craig that would have been head kicked by Nikita Krylov. Before you know he he tapped him out in the first round. His his striking has gotten good enough that he is now looking for his fifth straight win in the UFC light heavyweight division. And he's doing it in another, even though he's been on hard times, Uzdemir is still like a top 10, at least top 10 quality guy, not that far removed from being in the title picture. But I think this is gonna be a, a bit of a coming out party for Craig. Like I could see Uzdemir just hitting him with uh, one of his huge haymakers or kicks, but that's basically his best and only route to victory. And I don't think that's an automatic against Paul Craig anymore. I think Craig is probably going to hold his own in the striking and look for a chance to get this thing to the ground. He's probably going to need to do it out of some sort of collision or scramble or, you know, grab something out of the clinch. He still isn't the guy that shoots from outside. But I also think that Craig is probably going to, get stronger as the rounds go along while uzdemir is probably going to gas out so give me paul craig by a vintage paul craig thing probably a submission off his back in the third round in a fight that he was already winning on points
1: yeah i love i love that uh man this first of all why are these guys getting dogged be like being the first fight like i think it should be the co-made event like it, it, especially the way paul craig the run he's on um, I mean, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. We always talk about, you know, how many guys down before you, you know, a guy answers the phone for the title shot, like how many phone calls you're making. Paul Craig wins this fight. He is what, two, three phone calls away? Like, you know, if you're, you're, uh, matching up Prohaska, maybe you're calling, uh, Blachowicz first, then you're probably calling the uh, Smith, uh, I mean, you could actually make an argument for him over Ankeliev, but the Smith Ankeliev winner, and then it's probably Paul Craig if he wins. Uh,
0: if he wins, is Paul Craig closer to a title shot than anyone on the card outside of the main event? He's closer to a title oh, shot absolutely. than Durant. if he wins,
1: oh, absolutely! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely! Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I say. Paul Craig should be high. It should, honestly. I understand Austin Mayer is a, a tougher challenge than. Uh, Alexander Gustafson at this point, but if you're putting Kryloff higher in the card because he's going against Gustafson, you know, the, obviously a guy who's headlined UFCs and, and, you know, almost beat John Jones. Well, I shouldn't say almost, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, ha- had moments. He's, I mean, he's got his fights in the UFC Hall of Fame. If you're trying, if you're giving Gustafson the higher spot, Craig probably should have got the fight against Gustafson, not, not, uh, Kryloff, but, um, that's that's neither here nor there. No, uh, as and then Ustamir, Um Ustamir, he's 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 a tough test for Craig. I mean, he, he really is like uh, he, he's a mi- he's a minus athlete. That's because he's a little flat footed. He's plotting. He's, he's actually kind of slow on the feet, but he makes up for it with earth shattering power. I mean, he matches forward with good output. He's a good boxer. That has power in both of his hands. His left hook is like his kill switch. His short right hand, it's 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 kind of like a Shane Carran short right hand. He touches you, he puts you out. Uh he gets in the pocket, he's a good, dirty boxer, mean dirty boxer. Uh some good clinch fighting. And uh we we talk about well, hold on. I, I'm I'm gonna save that point for later. Uh it, he will wrestle. A little bit, not often, but he will wrestle a little bit. Um, he got takedowns against Dominic Reyes. He got takedowns against Anthony Smith. Um, he, he, but he has been taken down in like half his UFC fights. So that's a little concerning, but he's going to get some really good wrestlers. Uh, if he's on top, he has got some good top control. He is not a submissions threat though. He only has one career sub. Then you will to I, I got to leave Paul Craig second because, you know, build up to the breakdown on Paul Craig. Uh, dude, I, I, I'm just loving this run. Like, how far this run's gonna run? I don't know, but it, it, it's really fun. He's a really big dude. I mean, he looks like a heavyweight. He's he's massive, mm-hmm. um, but he doesn't pack power for a guy who's built like him. He kind of throws arm punches. Uh, he's got some huge defensive holes. Uh, he's a huge target. He keeps his chin high. Um, he, I, I disagree on his striking. It, it, I think some of the reason why he's landing a little bit now is because he's become such a submission threat that it forces guys to kind of hang their hands a little bit low, worried about maybe possible takedowns. But what I think he has added um, recently is a much better kicking game. He throws a lot of kicks from the outside, um, walking forward behind kicks to kind of close the distance. He does throw them naked and he's going to be, get smashed uh, open counter and, he has taken God knows the amount of damage you talk about his style like get beat up, get beat up until the guy's tired of hitting you, and then you find a submission. Um, I wonder how long he can take that now. He and for a guy who wants to get to the fight to the ground, he isn't a strong wrestler. Um, he's he kind of hopes his opponent catches its kick and takes him down, or he'll even pull guard. And that's because he has one of the greatest guards in the history of the sport, if I'm being honest. I mean, when a fight hits the ground and he's in a close guard. It feels like Hoist Gracie in the early UFC days where somehow being on bottom is now an advantage. And he can get subs anyway. You you relax for a second. Um, it takes one minute, one second, and he's on a submission.
0: And if I can interject, yeah. as slow sure. as he is on the feet, he is shockingly fast. Like his hips and legs are shockingly fast when he decides to move on, on the ground. Yeah. Like he just kind of yeah, sneaks in into position. Yeah, just want yeah, to throw that in there. there
1: um it's funny because we we've done a little theme on this card we talked about uh Victoria Leonardo and the competition she's faced we talked about uh uh there was uh Jay Harbart who he's faced how about the competition that Vulcan Ostamer has faced in his run I was looking at his record today who's the worst fighter Vulcan Ostamer has fought so far in the UFC
0: Probably like Latifi or somebody. Misha Serkinov, Latifi, yeah. and like, and well, 2017 Serkinov word. pretty good.
1: Yeah, that's the yeah yeah. Now that was an upset when he came yeah. in. That was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay, we'll go with Latifi. Ilay Latifi is the worst fighter this guy's faced in the UFC. Like, uh, the, yeah,
0: <laughs> good. Now the the flip side of that is those fights have shaken out pretty predictably for him. I mean, what's his best win in the UFC? Um. And don't say Rockage because he, that was a, I don't say robbery easily, but sure. I thought he won all three rounds against Rockage.
1: Um, well, OSP was probably at that time. That time was a pretty
0: good OSP. One. Yeah. Or, or lamping Jimmy Manoa. Like,
1: Oh, Manoa at the time. Yeah, yeah. That's going back. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was a good one at that time. Yeah. Probably Manoa. Yeah. Manoa was on a nice little run. At, up at, was yeah, that the fight that got him the title shot? Was yep, it that was yeah. the one
0: that was Cormier fight was after Manoa, but dude, that was 2017.
1: Yeah, so that well, that was that was yeah. like Mano was supposed to win that one to get the title shot.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that little like spat with Cormier at was uh, the UC two ten in Buffalo where Cormier was kind of like sit down, Jimmy Manoah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now now over to Craig. It, I said it. I honestly feel like this might be the fight that the listeners are going to be most interested to see who we pick. <laughs> um, because how, how does it? <laughs> how do you not like Paul Craig? Uh, I've said it over and over again that I'm not going to be tricked and pick against him. Like, how many times am I gonna get tricked by this guy? <laughs> like, um, he's simply better than I always thought he is. It's just that's how he is. But then when I watch film study on him, I say, I gotta do it again. I gotta pick against him. Ustammer really cracks. That's the one thing about him. And Craig usually weather's a storm, and then finds a sub. But what if he doesn't? What if he gets cracked and he doesn't get a chance to weather? I'm gonna say that's what happened. I'm I'm gonna lean with Ustamir. I'm gonna say he eventually, like you can't keep getting blasted and then come get a submission. Eventually, it's 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 gonna fall apart. I'm gonna say it happens now. Give me this. Is our first disagreement. I'm gonna go with Ustamir. I'm gonna say he does it in the very first round. I say he catches him with something early. First round knockoff, it was to me.
0: There you go. Uh, Our first ascension. What is this? Nine fights into the the 14 fight card. But yeah, that's what you come here for, right? The UFC London main card powers on with a women's flyweight matchup between Molly McCann and Hannah Goldie. McCann, the 32-year-old from Liverpool, the one almost assured to get the biggest pop of any fighter on the card, main event notwithstanding. Uh, is 12 and four overall. She is five and three since joining the UFC as the outgoing Cage Warriors uh, flyweight champ. She is coming off of back to back wins over Gian Kim and Luana Carolina. You may remember the Carolina fight because it was at the last UFC London. It was a knockout of the year candidate that's still in my top three or four. Hit her with a spinning back elbow in the third round that laid Carolina out cold. For the count like smelling salts so gotta remember that one she's gonna try to make it three straight against goldie the 33 year old floridian who was born hannah goldschmidt why did she change it probably so alex nicholson wouldn't think she was jewish six and two overall one and two since joining the ufc out of the third season of dana white's contender series uh, she debuted in the UFC with back-to-back losses; those were unanimous decisions to Miranda Granger and Diana Belvisa. Before finally getting her first win last September over Emily Whitmire, uh, tapped out Whitmire late in the first round with an armbar at UFC Fight Night: Smith versus Span. She's been out for uh, about ten months uh since then but she's going to try to make it two straight against McCann odds do not favor her to do so McCann another prohibitive favorite she's out there minus 400 right now you can get Goldie around plus 310 or plus 315 if you so choose Keith who have you got in this matchup
1: sorry dude I I was smacking my mic when you made the Alex Nicholson joke good for you brother oh um yeah sorry I I've I... I'm still recovering from that. That was a good one. That was, that was one of that was that was a that was one of your best ones. Thank you, sir. Uh Yeah, so I got a, I got a question. You said that you think Molly McCann's going to get the biggest uh the
0: biggest uh applause. You think it's be over Patty? Well, she and Patty go as a pair. They're both in yeah. Liverpool. They're best buds. Yeah, I'm kind of yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of their moment sure. at yeah. you know, the last UFC London. So yeah, 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 yeah. her shared with Pimblett. But for yeah, sure. if,
1: if Pitmint wins and she wins and she jumps in the cage and they'll and they're lying. like
0: slugging beer back yeah. and the is trying to Clyde, mop beer off Bonnie the Clyde moment. Yeah. yeah. Um
1: yeah, as much as as much as I'm like, I don't think either one's that good. It's great for the UFC if that shit happens. Uh Molly McCann, what, what a personality. I like I she had like she's grown on me. Um and I'm glad that she get like she should never fight outside of England again, like ever. Like be refusal, sure. like you know, like the first or the first she can go is like Wales or, or you know, the UK is like yeah. in the UK bubble. That's it. Like she can't fight anywhere else because uh, we don't appreciate it like they do over there. Yeah. Um, she's a fighter. She can fight out of both stances. I I think she fights out of both stances though more because of like bottled up energy in her than it is like a game plan technique thing. It's just I think it's like nervous energy for her. Uh, she constantly darts in and out of range, kind of like a two like, thousands version of Clay Guida. Uh, she's getting in, she's getting out, she's moving around, she's doing a bunch of movement that doesn't really matter. Uh, when she gets in the pocket, she unloads h- hard, big combos. Uh, she's willing to. Uh, Eat a shot to land one of her own. Though, in Fantas, in her last fight against Carolina, she did show some really improved head movement. Like, that was like the one note I, besides, you know, the incredible knockout, which what a moment for her. But it really uh, stood out to me that she started showing some defensive skills. Uh, she fights at insane pace. Uh, she throws nonstop power shots. She is heavy on her lead leg, which which gives her power, but also um, going back to like the uh, Talia Santos. Uh, She gets her legs destroyed. She would get destroyed with teeth kicks. Again, that loss has aged very well, but, um, she will close the distance and and use her strength. I mean, she's a very strong woman just to wear on her opponent in the clinch. Uh, she likes to battle in close quarters. She will wrestle, but (laughs) like I said, uh, I I, I feel who else I said, it. She, she is British. So this, there is a sailing to her wrestling. It's, you know, um, she also struggles to stop takedowns. I mean, she gave up seven takedowns to Laura Procopio. She gave a five takedowns to Talia Santos, so that's troublesome. Um, if she's put on her back, though, um, she really struggles. Um, she struggled to get Talia Santos off. Again, so did Valentina Shevchenko, so I, that might not look that bad. What I love about her is the cardio, though. Like She can have this grindy style and, and do it for all 15 minutes. Now, move over to Hannah Goldie. I'm not going to say anything different than this. I'm literally going to read my last notes because she was supposed to fight and the fight fell through, so nothing changed. I mean, she's – thinking about Hannah Golis now. Like, she is ripped. I mean, she mm-hmm. – well, we made a joke since she was like the William Knight workout plan last time. Um, She's got muscle on muscle. Lots of movement, a very in-and-out style, uh, hit-and-move kind of style. Fairly fast hands. But for someone who's so ripped, she doesn't have power. Uh, they're all arm punches. She also has some defensive holes. She pulls her head straight back. Uh, She kind of pulls her punches when she throws. She throws a lot of kicks. She has a Taekwondo style, but she keeps her chin in the air. Um, She's got weak takedown defense. Um, She doesn't like pressure um, when she's getting, uh, you know, kind of bullied around. She's an okay grappler. I mean, she got two takedowns on Deanna Belvita, but she was taken down twice by Emily Whitmire. But in in – Famous to her, she did catch a submission on on Whitmire. So, as far as prediction goes, like Molly McCann is never fighting for UFC title. I mean, the only way she fights for UFC title is is Valentina Shevchenko is fighting against somebody who actually deserves a title shot in England. That person pulls out, and they're like, "Hey, throw Molly in there." You know, Um, she's not good. Like she shouldn't. How big of a favorite you said she was?
0: Uh, minus 400 is McKenna. Like she
1: should not be a minus 400 favorite. Maybe minus 150. I think she's better than Hannah Gould. I do. I think she'll beat her with volume. I, I she's As you mentioned, she's going to get a huge pump from the crowd. She seems like someone who can kind of uh, not – She doesn't seem like the person who gets nervous under that. She's one of these people who seems like she would rise under that pressure. Mm-hmm. I say she wins – a decision but if you ever want to take i mean you already did it with Klein a little bit but you if you ever if you're a big gambler and if you want to take a flyer on a huge massive underdog this could be the one i'm it out i'm taking mccann by decision and in everything i said is not like being nice to hannah Goldie. like hannah Goldie is not that good it's just molly mccann shouldn't be a negative 450 favorite
0: Okay, even though I'm picking the actual result of the fight the same as you, I do see it a little differently. I I see Goldie's main routes to victory here being something that not many people have done to McCann. Like, Goldie's not going to win a striking battle in the pocket here. I don't know if Goldie is going to be able to keep McCann at the range that she can throw the kind of kick she wants to. And... While, you know, McCann's UFC debut, she got choked to sleep by Jillian Robertson. So, like, obviously, certainly Goldie could, like, snatch something up, you know, from from the bottom and, and tap her out like she did to Emily Whitmire in her last fight. It's been a long time since that happened to McCann. I see this fight just playing out as kind of a kickboxing match that takes place a lot more in McCann's preferred range than in Goldie's probably doesn't go to the ground unless McCann wants it there. And so again, I don't think she should be a minus 400 favorite either, but this is about as safe a win as you could find for Molly McCann in the flyweight division for me right now, especially considering that Mandy bomb and Victoria Leonardo are already busy that night. Like I I think this is a pretty well-crafted matchup to get McCann a feel good win in front of the London crowd, but yeah, give me McCann by decision as well. Before we start to talk about the next fight, let it be known that Keith did take another shot of tea, uh, between segments here in honor of Molly McCann, both of us picking her. But next up on the UFC London main card is a light heavyweight matchup between Nikita Krylov and Alexander Gustafsson. Krylov, the 30 year old Ukrainian is 27 and nine overall. He is eight and seven across two separate stints with the UFC, uh, Eight and seven overall, seven and six at light heavyweight. He did fight his two first two fights at uh, heavyweight going one and one. So seven and six at light heavyweight. Uh, two and four since rejoining the UFC this time. Though in fairness to him, one of the themes this evening has been Keith and me talking about fighters who have just faced an absolutely brutal slate of competition. Now granted, in the case of Krylov, this is second time in the UFC. So his strengths and weaknesses were kind of more of a known quantity. But since rejoining the UFC... Jan Blachowicz, St. Prue, Glover Teixeira, Johnny Walker, Magomed Ankolaev, and Paul Craig. We have champ, former champ, possibly your next champ, <laughs> top 10 fighter in Craig. No, and no, fe- two, no future, future
1: champion, Hall of Famer, Paul champion,
0: Craig. Yeah, future champ and Hall of Famer, Paul Craig. And the other two fights, the Walker and St. Prue fights, Those are the ones that Krylov won. (laughs) And those guys were both kind of 10 to 15 range guys at the time. Like, yeah, yeah. Two and four, better than it looks. (laughs) That's right. He'll try to make that number a little better against Gustafson, the one time number two guy in the division, whose high watermark Keith already alluded to earlier, coming, you know, coming agonizingly close to taking the belt from from John Jones. 35 year old. Probably even
1: closer against Daniel Cormier.
0: Yeah, there you go. Like, actually had Daniel Cormier in, in like trouble, not just you know, hey, this fight is close on the scorecards. No, good call. Uh, former two-time uh, title challenger, eighteen and seven overall, ten and seven in the UFC, uh, ten and six as a light heavyweight. Opposite of Krilov. he fought Man, his first sixteen. Yeah,
1: real He fought for the title three times. He fought, the other one? he fought Jones twice, remember? Oh, yeah, of
0: course. The, the second one was for what well, yeah, Jones had the belt back already. So over three in UFC <laughs> light heavyweight title shots. Whew. Rough times. Uh yeah, he started his first 16 fights in the UFC at light heavyweight. He did try moving up to heavyweights. Well, after retiring. I mean, his loss to Anthony Smith in June of 2019, so three years ago, he retired in the cage after that one. That was in uh that was in Stockholm, wasn't it? That was in front of his hometown crowd that he got choked up by Smith, retired in the cage, changed his mind, came back in summer of 2020 at a heavyweight, took on Fabrice over Doom, got tapped out in the first round. This is him saying, okay, for really real this time, I'm coming back again, but it's back at light heavyweights. And he is not the favorite here. Nikita Krylov, minus 190, Alexander Gustafson, plus 160 on the comeback Keith, I'm definitely going to throw this one to you first, but yeah. Nikita Krilov is a favorite over Gustafson here says a lot about what the public thinks primarily of Gustafson. I think Nikita Krilov is a known quantity at this point. We know what he is. What he is, is a mystery. He is a scream at the TV fighter because oh, you know uh, yeah. Scream at the TV fighter capable of losing just a horrible, like weird, embarrassing fight. One, one, Uh, one night and then Lansing a top 10 guy the next. So for him to be almost a two to one favorite over Alexander Gustafson, I think says more about where the public feels Gustafson is physically and competitively, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this and to let me know whether either of these guys have any life in them in terms of a contender run.
1: Yeah, I I have a lot of issues with Alexander Gustafson. Obviously you mentioned the Anthony Smith fight. He got his ass handed to him. He looked terrible, like the worst he's ever looked. Then retires, go, comes back, goes up, to, goes against a pretty much shot for over Verdum, or close to shot for Reseo Verdum. Gets submitted in like two minutes, two and a half minutes, something like that. Then he gets scheduled against Ben Rothwell. So it wasn't like automatically like, oh, I learned that I'm not a heavyweight. No, he, he's scheduled against Ben Rothwell. That fight falls apart, and then he decides to come down to light, light heavyweight. So it's kind of weird. Let me ask
0: you this. I, I was wrong, by the way. When the Rothwell fight fell apart, I said, if we ever see Gustafson again, it'll be at heavyweight from here on out. He's never going to try 205 yeah. again. And I was wrong, assuming yeah, he I makes mean, 205.
1: I actually think it's still probably the better move for him. <laughs> but um, let me let me ask you this, which is going to kind of contradict what I'm going to say right now. Has Alexander Gustafson ever looked worse than he has his last time we saw him at 205?
0: The Smith fight? Yeah. No, and that's okay. that's the only time in his entire UFC run that he just he fought badly and looked bad. Before well that, the
1: second John Jones fight he looks pretty bad.
0: But it's I'm, Jones. Gonna, I'm it's gonna, Jones. and I'm gonna say that's just more an indication of how much better a fighter John Jones is. yeah than yeah. He yes, is. I think the first fight was his high water mark because of course he he was less of a known quantity. Jones was coming in freely admitting having just like snorted Coke and drunk his way through camp and barely trained. And that was enough for him to win two rounds off Mm -hmm. of that version of John Jones.
1: So, so let me ask you this though. So we just agreed that Alexander Gustafson is, has never looked worse. It's fairly safe to say that he, he might be a shot fighter that, that established. Has he ever had a better chance of winning the title, light heavyweight title than he does right now?
0: No, John Jones is nowhere to be seen. And He's either, fighting a okay. contender's fight against the most unreliable top 15 fighter in the division.
1: Yeah. So the light heavyweight division is the glamour division of the, in the history of the UFC. Sure. But has there ever been a worse time to be in the division in the span that he was when the champions were John Jones and Daniel Cormier? I mean, no. this is the division that had Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, Vitor about like these are the champions Shogun uh, Leo Machida Quentin Jackson I mean Boris Griffin like it is a unbelievable legends of legends and he was the number 2 guy behind or really should I say the number 3 guy but always the bridesmaid because those two guys He was
0: the number 2 guy until Cormier dropped to Yeah play. yeah but, yeah, no, but like, like
1: like that's that's the run he was on so he actually probably if you told me, I feel the same way. If you told me that a year from now, Alexander Gustin never fights again in the UFC. I go, yeah. Okay. Like I give it about a 50% chance. If you told me Alexander Gustin wins the title a year from now, I might not give it a 50% chance, but like, I wouldn't be, he wins the title. I wouldn't be shocked. Like that, that was just basically what the point I was trying to try to make. Now, Everything I said is going to sound really contradiction. So let me let me pull back the curtain. Like we watch film study on fourteen fights, twenty eight fighters. Like you have to sacrifice some fights, and I kind of rank which fights I want to look at first. And run out of time. Listen, I work a full time job. I'm a dad. I have three kids. They have sporting events. I go to church. I have to run you know everyday life errands, cut the grass, change my wife's break some routers and I mean this is all the shit you gotta do through a week, you know? Mm-hmm. Um I skipped this fight. And I skipped my whole point is like I ran out of time and I skipped this fight. And the whole reason I skipped this fight is I remember watching an interview recently where Alexander Gustafson was talking about Shemayoff, training with Shemaff. And he said he was talking about Shemayov and all this crazy things he does. And he's like, and and like sparring with him and how crazy it was and he goes and he goes and this was during my prime. And I go, wow, like, you're actually admitting you're not in your prime anymore? And, like, if you don't think you're in prime, like, should I be excited about you? Like, how motivated are you? Like, you retired. Like, is is this just a paycheck for you? Um. So most of my analysis on him is just off of memory. I mean, what I last saw him against, and again, that heavyweight's much different. He's, you know, he's always been athletic, light on his feet longer. Obviously, he's a huge guy. I mean, that's why he was able to go up to heavyweight. Snapping jab, but he slowed down a lot against Anthony Smith. Um, he's always had pretty good takedown defense, but he didn't against Fervisa Virgium. Virgium took him down and submitted him. Krylov, Krylov is a is a good athlete. He's pretty well-rounded. Uh, he's light on his feet. He's elusive. He's got some fast hands. He does hang his hands low, which is troublesome. He throws a lot of kicks but I am unsure. Like we talk about inconsistency. I'm unsure about his wrestling. He looks like this great wrestler, one fight and then terrible. The next, I I said, look at his stats in the UFC. And I was like, wow, he's got 10 takedowns. in the UFC. Like he's a really good wrestler. Then I look and go, yeah, he's also been taken down 20 times. Mm-hmm. Which is really surprising. Like, he's even he's taken on twice as many times as he's actually landed takedowns. Um, I know we always bring it up, but I always bring up the OSP fight. OSP mounted him, which is really troublesome for a high-level fighter. Uh, but he is—he is a really good submission threat. He's got 15 subs on his record, I mean, he almost submitted Glove to share. Like that's how good he is. As far as prediction go, I hate this fight. One guy is super inconsistent. The other guy just seems disinterested. Who went up to heavyweight and then went back to 205? And I don't know, man. Anybody who's making a prediction. Um, the whole the whole thing about Gustafson, where I started saying this is the closest he has of actually probably winning a title, <laughs> makes me want to take him now. And if, obviously, if you're the OC, that's what you're rooting, rooting for—Gustafson to win. Uh, um, but I'm gonna go with Krylov. I'm gonna say Krylov. I'll work some on the feet um, in there. If this is prime Gustafson, then I would take Gustafson easily. But uh, this might have a like a Misha Tate look on where He's just a shot fighter fighting a fighter who's not completely shot. So. Give me Krylov. I'm gonna say it's gonna be an ugly decision.
0: I'm I'm with you on this one, you know. Like spoilers, I'm I'm picking Krylov in this fight. And I mentioned that if you're Alexander Gustafson in this division right now, it's about as favorable as it gets. You know, you're a three time former title challenger, so the UFC would probably let you slalom the contenders a little bit towards another title shot. Especially considering that there's no one personality that's just taken over the division in the post-John Jones era. And in your contender fight here, you're taking on the most unreliable fighter in the light heavyweight top 15. That's that's Nikita Krylov. The the thing to me about this fight is I think good Nikita if Nik, good Nikita Krylov shows up, he's gonna lamp Alexander Gustafson. If bad Nikita Krylov shows up, I think he still wins. So I, I wouldn't touch this fight with a ten foot pole. If I were, you know, if if I were inclined to bet on it, this isn't a fight I wouldn't I would touch. But I, I am favoring Krylov in this one. It's hard to believe he's only thirty, and it's because he's been in the UFC in two different you know two different stints in the UFC, and he was so young when he started. He was, I think. He may have been 21, he may only have been 20 when he fought Palelei Pal- L- in one of the worst fights in UFC history, just showing up as like a 238-pound kind of pudgy guy, and that was when his fight finder photo was still him in like a trench coat and a hat and like UFC gloves, <laughs> even though he wasn't in the UFC yet, and his nickname was the, the Fighting Al Capone. Man, I'm glad those days are over. <sighs> yeah, good Gustafson. Like, if this fight took place in like 2017, Gustafson would murder Krylov but that's just not the Gustafson we have anymore. Uh, I I don't trust his gas tank. He's never been a, a high power guy. Like, you know, he's always had stinging punches, but, you know, he was never like a, a real, like one shot knockout artist. Whereas Krylov can be. Like if one guy lamps the other with a single kick or punch, it's absolutely going to be Krylov. Uh, I'm going to say the wheels fall off for Gustafson here. Give me the key to Krylov by second round TKO. Just Gustafson comes out looking flat, gets tired inexplicably early. Maybe it was a really tough weight cut. Krylov is having a good night and just starts putting on him fa- fairly early, knocks him out in the second round. Let me ask you That's this.
1: Let me ask you this. If Gustafson wins, how many wins does he need before he gets a title shot? One more. Yeah, I was going to say that. Two. Krylov and then, like, a the guy a little bit ranked. like um, they, Honestly, they could probably put him against Gloves to rematch.
0: Yeah, that, that wouldn't be bad. You know, their their first fight was... Uh, or oh, he, he could fight
1: the winner of, of Craig and Ustamir.
0: That'd be perfect. He hasn't fought either of them yet, has he? It's it's kind of saying something that he and Uzmir have never fought each other, considering yeah. how long they co- sort of orbited the top five, top ten together. Mm-hmm. There you go. Third from the top at UFC London is a lightweight matchup between Patty Pimblett and Jordan Levitt. Pimblett, the 27-year-old Liverpoolian, is 18-3 and overall. He is 2-0 since joining the UFC as a former featherweight and lightweight champ in Cage Warriors. He fought most recently in March, of course, at the last UFC London, where he choked out Rodrigo Vargas late in the first round. Uh, Had a little easier going than in his UFC debut last September, where he and Luigi Vendramini actually were teeing off on each other, but he did end up being the last man standing he will attempt to make it three in a row and send the uh, hype train rocketing forward against Levitt. The 27 year old American is 10 and one overall. He's three and one since joining the UFC out of the fourth season of Dana white's contender series, uh, debuted Slamming Matt Wyman back into retirement in December of 2020. He then lost a unanimous decision to Claudio Pueyes. Since then, he's won two in a row, uh, choking out Matt Sales last December and getting a split decision over Trey Ogden this April at UFC on ESPN, Luke versus Muhammad. Uh, Levitt on a two-fight win streak. Nonetheless, not favored to keep that one going. He is plus 210 as the underdog. Pimblet minus 250 uh as the favorite keith you once said something about jordan levitt oh, probably 12 or 18 months ago that always comes to my mind <laughs> when uh we preview one of his fights i'm gonna test your resolve <laughs> yeah, are you this, gonna pick jordan levitt or is it still never tell me how you it, see this fight yeah
1: this fight patty pimlet and jordan levitt two guys that i have bashed uh get matched against each other the there's the ultimate keith shillen fight right here uh I'll say this about Patty. It, the, the, I don't believe in the talent, but I like I love the personality. I love the fun. Like I, same, I feel the same way about Molly McCann. Now, Patty is improving on his feet. He's a long rangey boxer, though he does drop his hands. But he has some surprising problem. We, he dropped Luigi Favanti, which um, I'm uh, not Favanti. I'm going way back. Ben uh, but yeah, Ben Yeah, who's the Favanti was that middleweight, the old, yeah. Just, that's it, just thrown in those Terry Martin yeah. middleweights well,
0: he, he was the one that was—he was like the the Marine or the former Marine, so they always yeah, had yeah. him fight at the fight nights on like, like the military bases and stuff. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, um, he's he's pretty elusive. We're talking about Pimlet not Feravante. <laughs> um, a lot a lot of kicks. He lo- he loves the question mark kick. He'll he'll throw a flying knee, and he does that just to kind of pressure and kind of uh, back you up he he backs himself straight up which is troublesome and he's very hittable like he uh, even his last fight he got tagged up a little bit he he's not a drive-through-your-hips wrestler he'll look more for upper body locks he hit this beautiful judo throw in his last fight which you gotta like and he's a guy who just he'll want to create a scramble to kind of because he's not a good wrestler just kind of create a scramble and, and try to find a submission um He's very weak defensive wrestler, but that's because he doesn't mind getting taken down where he, he's on his back. He likes to work there. He's very flexible. Um, he has some really slick back takes. He has a submission threat. He chains subs together, which I really like. If he misses the first one, he's going to the second one. Jordan Levitt, he's he's big for the weight class. But he is one of the most one dimensional fighters in, in in the UFC. His standup is so bad. He he doesn't want to strike with his opponent at all. Uh, I, I said this about when I saw him on the regional scene. He had one fight where he just bus scooted and, and chased his opponent until the opponent got like trapped in the octagon as is Jordan Love it. I swear, look it up, go find it. Um he didn't there was another fight. There was a there was like a four fight stretch where he didn't land a single strike. Um, but to his credit, he did show some like like small like, iota of striking in his last fight against Trey Ogden. I'll give him that. Uh his chin is tough. Like he's been his chin and tie in there and he gets tagged up. He will shoot. He's more of a funk style wrestler, just kind of similar to Patty Pullman. Just kind of create a scramble. Uh, he keeps his keeps his hips moving. He'll go for Iminari Iman, rolls to get the fight to the ground. He just wants to get down. He's also very flexible. I mean, look at him. He does a split after his wins. He has some really slick back takes. He has a submission right. He has six subs. Um kind of go for his subs in any position. Uh, Dar- I've seen him hit a Darth Scramble. I've seen his uh, Slick Kimura as an amateur. He got a Crucifix in one. Uh, but the one thing I don't like about him, that he's in, in, in actually, so similar. Pim- Pimplet has a very similar style. To- they'll, he'll chase a, a sub that isn't there, and then he'll compromise his position and get put in a bad position. And the other thing, and this stood out in the Claudio Puelos fight, his cardio is initial. He will gas out if it's such a grapple-heavy um, where he can't kind of just hold you down. Now, obviously, Patty already had his huge moment in in England, but he's getting again. Like This guy was made for big moments, big cards, co-main events. Uh, I haven't seen forever that he's more of hype than talent, but you said it. I refuse to pick Jordan Levitt until he shows me some kind of stand-up. Now, Pemblitt is the guy that will grapple with him, so I could see Levitt just holding him down and winning a top-side grappling game. But with the crowd rocking, I think Pimlet's going to have moments where he's taken down, has to scramble, works back to his feet, taken down, has to scramble. Has, we have some fun scrambles. But I see I see Levitt kind of slowing down. I see the crowd just lifting Pimlet up with some chairs. And I think Pimlet catches a big shot. I'm going to say he does in the second round. Give me Patty Pimlet in, in the second round in what's going to be the biggest pop of the night when he gets a second
0: round TKO. And Molly McCann comes and- running through yeah beer like in her hand might, you know? yeah
1: yeah that's that's what six six and oh for england
0: yep uh i'm with you here this is a well-crafted matchup to get pimlet a win in front of the the adoring fans without being a complete mockery in terms of where they stand in the division because like you say pimlet's talent might not match up to his personality and his hype, but there's a lot of room underneath that ceiling. His personality and and hype are both oversized. Like he is a pretty good UFC quality, lightweight at this point. Uh, And at 27 has, you know, has room to keep developing. And even as he currently stands, Jordan Levitt is the, is a good guy for him to to fight because he got in trouble against Luigi Vendramini Pimblet did because he stood there in the pocket they winged punches on each other they both hurt each other that's not going to be levitt you pointed out that if pimblet decides to test the waters on the ground with levitt which he probably will at some point uh levitt's very good down there and could get him in trouble but if pimblet can survive levitt's likely to fade uh so yeah this one's got pimblet written all over it give me pimblet by third round tko either just he has Levitt in trouble on the ground and opts to pound him out rather than choke him out. Or maybe Levitt's tired on the feet and Pimblet just almost as tired, but not quite as tired. You know, lands a couple of last sloppy haymakers, puts him down. This thing's over. The crowd goes wild. But give me Pimblet by third round TKO. We come now to the co main event of UFC Fight Night 208, a, a short notice, quickly thrown together middleweight matchup that won't have as much hometown appeal, but in terms of sheer competitive heft is at least as interesting as the fight. It uh, took the place of it is Jack Hermanson versus Chris Curtis. Hermanson, the 34 year old, uh, Swede training out of Norway, I always get that backwards. I think I got it right at that time, he is 22 and 7 overall. He is 9 and 5 in the UFC. He has been alternating losses for his last half dozen fights, but the most recent uh, fight of his was a split decision loss to Sean Strickland in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 200 back in February. Prior to that, he had taken a unanimous decision over Edmund Shabazian, further pushing the one time Golden Boy prospect uh into obscurity he's going to try to get back into the win category against curtis who steps in on about uh, 10 12 days notice for darren till obviously darren till would have been another recipient of one of the biggest pops on the on the night but in terms of interest curtis uh the ufc's most enjoyable surprise of the last year 35 year old ohio native is 29 and 8 overall he is 3-0 since joining the UFC uh, as the eternal regional journeyman who seemed to have come up against his ceiling in places like Bellator and PFL. But since joining the UFC last November, he's has a first-round knockout of Phil Hawes, a second round knockout of Brandon Allen, and a comfortable unanimous decision win over Rodolfo Vieira. The most recent of those, the Vieira fight, was at UFC on ESPN Sarukian versus Gamrot just a couple weeks ago. Uh, he had no problems uh, taking the fight on such short turnaround because, one, he didn't get a mark on him, and, two, uh, he doesn't have to cut cut much weight to make 185 as pretty much a career welterweight until just uh, a year or two ago. Curtis, despite stepping in on such short notice, is the slight favorite here. He's minus 120. Hermanson available at even money out there, plus 100. Keith, I know that we the this fight changed long enough ago that you probably didn't get too far down the pike for uh, a Till versus Hermanson matchup. But do you like this one better, or do you wish it was Till versus Hermanson and who you got? Um, well, I'll
1: give you two answers. And Hermanson versus Curtis intrigues me more stylistically, but Hermanson versus Till in England, I'm more excited about that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like if, you give me, if you give me this fight in Vegas... Yeah. All right. Give me, give me Curtis. Uh, I like the runnies on. on. Um, I like the stories on um, journeyman turned contender. It's, it's a really fun story. Uh, but you know, Darren Till in England, especially if he won. Uh, yeah. That would have been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I think it's, it, it's a fun side listening, Jack Carmanson, he's not a great athlete. I mean, I think he would say that, but he's a very technically sound fighter. He never stops working. He has high volume. He doesn't waste energy. He just touches on the feet. He has a very like get in and get out style lands, gets out. Uh, everything's comes in from inside. All the strikes are tight. He, he does lack some power, which is, which is troublesome like he's not going to like one punch you and knock you out. He throws a lot of kicks, good calf kicks, good oblique kicks. Um, he had some really good success going to the body of, like, Jacare. Um, he You can beat him if you force him back on his back foot where he's not leading the dance. Uh, also, he's going to have fights where he's just going to be slower, and that's going to hurt him. Like the Sean Strickland fight, he just got jabbed up by Sean Strickland. But he's got a solid chin. Um, other than Jared Kanini, he really hasn't been hurt. He is a very underrated wrestler and just grappling in general, but like he gets credit for his grappling, but he's a good wrestler. Um, he's out grappled Talos Edmund Shabazian, at times Marvin Vittori. Like that's really good run. Uh, he has six submission wins and he's faced really good competition for a long time now. Uh, Chris Curtis, he's a guy that's looking better and better each fight. Uh, he's He's, and that's because he is fighting with so much confidence right now. While he was on the regional scene, he was trying to fight to get into the UFC. Now he's not only in, he, he knows he belongs. And now he's actually, I think he believes that he can be a contender. Um, so he he is undersized. I mean, he's a former welterweight. His fight's at middleweight, uh, uh, especially against a monster like Jack Hermanson. But he showed that. Power is not a problem. I mean, he knocked out Phil Hawes. He knocked out Brendan Allen. Brandon Allen's a big dude. I mean, Phil Hawes mm-hmm. is a freak athlete. Brandon Allen's a big dude. And, and so he showed he has the power to put anybody out. He's a southpaw. He's a very technically sound boxer. I mean, he's the definition of a compact, tight inside boxer. Tight hooks, tight uppercuts. I love that he goes down to the body. We saw that in his last fight against uh, Vieri. He really worked the body. He's got some good calf kicks, but he does not show it does not throw him off. I've said this tons of times. Every single time I talk about Chris, when he throws calf kicks, a really good thing. He needs to throw him more. more. Um, he needs to improve on some of his footwork, especially when he's being pressured to like start sidestep and pivot, which really worked good for a guy that throws short hooks, kind of pivot into a left hook or something. But one thing I love, and this one of the biggest difference from him on the regional, And one, I think going up, he's one of the guys who's gone up weight class that kind of the power has kind of gone with him, which is really nice. But also when he was on, you know, the PFL, uh, regional scenes like CES fighting on the contender series, He was a little gun shy at times. That is not the case now in the UFC. He's letting those hands go uh, very boxing style. He rolls with punches uh, kind of deflecting shots. He will occasionally look for a takedown uh, and he has some pretty good top control. Uh, he showed he has really good takedown defense. He showed that against Adolfo Rivera and he has the cardio to go 15 minutes hard because he doesn't really waste energy. Similar, very similar to uh, Jack Romanson this is a tough fight. Uh, I I wanted to pick Chris Curtis. I was thinking I was going to take him all week. However, I, I'm going to go with Hermanson for a couple of reasons. One, this is a big step up for Chris Curtis. Yeah, Curtis has beaten some really good guys. Hadafi uh, Overez, a really good win. Uh, Phil Haas is a really good win. Brandon Allen's really I – mean, those are really good wins. But this is – Jack Hermanson's been on the top of the UFC for a long time. Uh, there's a big size advantage, Curtis being undersized. And the biggest thing that stands out to me, uh, one, Hermanson's a really smart fighter. I mean, even fights that he loses, like uh, where he was outclassed against Sean Strickland, HE still got a split decision. Now, again, I don't think that should have been a split decision. But just because of the output he had put him in a position where he could trick a judge into thinking he won. The the thing I like about Hermanson is he uses all aspects of the game where Curtis really just boxes. Hermanson boxes, he kickboxes, he wrestles. So all those facts together, I'm going to take Hermanson uh, by decision.
0: I have gone back and forth about this one. This, for me, easily the hardest fight on the card to call. I am leaning towards Curtis as a slight favorite, but I am not confident in it. I'd be a lot more confident in it if they were both coming off full camps for each other. But, you know, Curtis, even if he didn't take much damage in the Vieira fight, even if uh, he doesn't have much of a cut to make 185 pounds, you know, he's going like three or four weeks between fights. You know, it does concern me, but I think Curtis is going to be able to stay upright, I think he's going to be able to throw enough volume to win rounds against Hermanson, even if he doesn't really ever hurt him. Hurt him, uh, and I think he wins a decision over Hermanson here. And the, I mean, the noise in the arena won't be as loud, but the noise out in space, uh, you know, like in the MMA space, about Curtis as one of the more surprising. Newly arrived contenders in the UFC middleweight division will go through the roof. Yeah. So give me uh, Curtis in a close, hard fought decision.
1: Yeah, nothing against Jack Romanson, but I would love to. It's just a, such a nice Cinderella story. Let let me ask you this before we move on to the main event. If these guys, for two years, say Jack Romanson was scheduled to face whoever, whoever he was scheduled to face two years ago, Jared and Air or something like this, if Cannon got hurt or whoever, And Chris Curtis got put in that fight. How big a favorite would Jack Hermanson have been two years ago?
0: Oh, my goodness. Almost two years ago to the week, Hermanson was tricking Kelvin Gastelum into thinking they were standing back up when, in fact, he was about to heel hook him in 60 seconds.
1: So replace Kelvin Gastelum at that moment with Chris Curtis.
0: Chris Curtis, two years ago, was getting ready to fight in xmma the resurrected yeah. like regional Florida promotion. Was he like, yeah. was he he like was retired? Fly- he retired yeah. in PFL. <laughs> like, he retired twice in one night in PFL. <laughs> like, yeah, it would have been a joke. Like, no pun intended for Hermanson, but yeah, he would have been <laughs> like a, a minus six hundred favorite.
1: Chris, Chris Curtis, like, that actually should be like a funny game for him. Like, say he beats Jack Hermanson, and 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 they ask him like, who do you want to fight next? Like, we I don't fight. I'm retired. <laughs> <laughs> like, i guess you just like everyone He just retired after every single fight uh and then like unretire like an hour later um that's my point just he would have been probably like a plus 700 underdog and now he's the favorite yep i like it's it's an incredible story
0: it is you know and i'm not rooting for either fighter but it would be no, fun to either. see it continue
1: yeah what I like to do is I like picking against the guy that I don't have like this connection to. So then I'm happy either way. There you go. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I, my pick was right. I'm happy. Oh, Chris Curtis is nice. Like, I, I, I told you before, I root for the story. Whatever's the most exciting thing to talk about on the recap, that's what I kind of root for. So either way, I'll be happy.
0: There you go. That, I, I think that's a fair way to look at it. 13 fights in, we come to the top of UFC Fight Night 208, fight number 14, the only heavyweight matchup on the card. That's how you know this is going to be a good one because there's no obligatory unranked heavyweight slobber knocker. No, this is a heavyweight, hell, possible title eliminator. Who knows? It is Curtis Blades versus Tom Aspinall. Blades, the 31-year-old Oklahoman by way of Chicago, I think he is now, 16-3 16 and three with one no contest overall, 11 and three with one no contest in the UFC. He is on a two-fight win streak since getting knocked out by Derek Lewis last year. He has taken a unanimous decision over Jairzinho Rosen strike last September, and then most recently in the headliner of UFC on ESPN 33 this March, knocked out Chris Dawkins just seconds into the second round of their headliner fight. He will look to make it three straight against Aspinall. The 29 year old Mancunian is 12 and 2 overall. He is a perfect 5 and 0 in the UFC. Those victims Jake Collier, Alan Bodeau, Andre Arlovsky, Sergey Spivak, and most recently in the headliner of UFC Fight Nights 204 this past uh, March, Alexander Volkov, whom he tapped out in the first round. All five of his UFC victories have, in fact, been finishes inside of the first two rounds, and Arlovsky was the only one even to make it to the second round. It's been a story of complete dominance for the young man from Manchester. If he can keep that going against probably one of the three best fighters in the division, four best fighters in the division and Blades, obviously he is ready for a title shot now. He is actually the slight favorite to uh, pass the test here. He's out there around minus 130, minus 135 on most books. Blades available at plus, or sorry, I spent on minus 135 or so. Blades around plus 110, plus 115 on most of them. Keith, I'm, I guess I'm slightly surprised at the line here. But you and I, and it's not like we're geniuses or like have, seeing into the future to see Tom Aspinall as a future champion. All of it's obviously there. Uh, He's, you know, born and bred grappler. I mean, his dad is the BJJ coach at Team Kaoban. He's been doing it since he was a kid. But then at the same time, a guy who boxed before he did BJJ competitively and took a year off in the middle of his young career to go box professionally and actually picked up a, a professional win. He has all the physical tools. He is a huge guy he is one of the biggest heavyweights in the UFC just in terms of like lean bulk. Like the UFC has got a number of six five, two hundred 255 pound guys, but in terms of like body composition and the frame, the skeleton that it's sitting on, he's as big as any of them. And he is a plus athlete. He's fast. He's coordinated. Uh, just a smooth athlete, both on the feet and on the ground, on the ground. He is almost frighteningly fast and powerful. I mean, it's probably because he looks a little bit like Frank Mir, but it reminds me of early Frank Mir, where it was like 2002, 2003, and he was this just huge guy that moved like a middleweight on the ground and was dealing with people that just were not prepared to deal with that kind of grappler. Mm -hmm. That's what Tom Aspinall looks like in 2020, 2021, (laughs) 2022. He's an absolutely frightening individual. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's one of the... I think he's one of the better offensive wrestlers in the heavyweight division and not even like British offensive wrestler. Like he's just like, he's just, he's a good, <laughs> he's just a, a good wrestler.
1: So uh, I, I, have been, I've been having all the British fans hate me. If we keep making little jabs at their British wrestling and Ben Ben's Ben's the crowd favorite with the, with the, with the British people, with the button up to the
0: Brits. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a crowd pleaser here. Yeah, I right. mean, I'm not saying he's blades. He doesn't have the well, nobody, maybe nobody no. in heavyweight history has like the traditional just double leg and single leg shot from outside the blades. Does maybe yeah, not
1: yeah. Brock Lesnar,
0: yeah, like Brock Lesnar and his like you know war chest full of hor- horse steroids, maybe, but maybe, uh, maybe, Rand- maybe Randy, but even Randy, like boy, he up. would shoot, but most of his takedowns, like Clinch. clinch yeah, yeah, clinch stuff, especially uh, at heavyweight when he was undersized, yeah, like. Before Kane Velasquez's knees died, oh, he would choose from the outside. Yeah, but but Blades is in he's in the team photo. Hope, yeah, but, he's in the club. But Aspinall, very good at getting fighters to the ground where, when, and how he wants them. And he has oh, a little on,
1: bit. sorry to interrupt you. Of, of course, we're not talking about like Mark Coleman and Mark Kerr going against guys who never stepped in a wrestling room ever. Well, like that's hey, different. That's different And
0: that. And Mark Coleman, yeah. Fan like, wearing and wearing wrestling shoes. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. fighting
1: taxi drivers, yeah. (laughs) But somewhat modern.
0: Yeah, somewhat modern. But Aspinall, very good at getting fighters to the ground, not just getting into the ground, but where, when, and how he wants. He has a little bit of the thing that Velasquez or Blades does where he takes you down with some force, knocks a little bit of the wind out of you, and he's already advancing to side control or wherever he wants to be while the other guy is, is getting his wits about him. I'm just interested to see if he's going to try that on blades because we know all about blades as offensive wrestling but how many times have we seen blades have to fight off a takedown from somebody when have we ever seen him on his back what does that look like what does it look like if he ends up underneath a guy who is pretty much the same size and a crushingly heavy top position grappler who is kind of an equal opportunity distributor because the scary thing about Aspinall on the ground is he's he was happy to take your back and choke you up but he will also punch you in the face incredibly hard until you do it, he's a ult, ultra choose your poison guy when he gets you on the ground. Blades is, I mean, his Achilles heel thus far. I mean, he's who's he lost to? Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis, yeah. basically guys with two, two very good takedown there. defense. Yeah, t- maybe maybe the two biggest hitters ever. Basically, the people who've beaten Curtis Blades are people who not only could stop or slow his takedowns, but could hit him hard enough with a single blow mm. to change the fight. Cause Alexander Volkov caught blades with a flush knee on one of his takedown attempts and blades just kind of like shook it off and then went back to, you know, grinding him down. So did Jarzinho Rosen strike. Not everybody can do this. So we know all about blades offensive wrestling. I'm interested to see if he gets put on the defensive, or I wonder if Aspinall tries to test things on the feet. Maybe Aspinall thinks he has the kind of power that he can just, catch blades behind the ear with something like Ngannou did or can submarine them with a perfectly timed uppercut like Lewis did and and turn the fight on a dime we're going to learn something we're probably going to learn something about both guys in this fight we're Mm -hmm. definitely going to learn something about Aspinall since we already know that Curtis Blades is a top contender uh a lot of it to me depends on how aspinall approaches the fight because i think we know how blades is going to blades is going to strike exactly long enough to see his first opportunity to take a shot and then he's going to take it if he takes that and aspinall shucks him off then it just ends up being a striking contest we're going to learn something about both guys if aspinall pancakes him and spins around to the back we got a whole other fight going on (laughs) and that's i mean I'm not rooting for either guy, but that's what I'm rooting for to see. I want to see blades as grappling. I want to see blades in scrambles because yeah. all, all we've seen so far is him either wrestle the other guy into the dust or get knocked out. Give me Aspinall, but I think this goes, I don't know if it goes all five rounds, but I think this goes like well into the, the main event rounds. It goes at least halfway through the fourth round and it, it ends up being a gas tank thing. Give me, curtis blades to survive and to win and kind of put a little bit of breaks on the tom aspinall express wow. uh just probably you know like a, a tko of a tired Aspinall on the ground and what we learn is curtis blades is still really really good yep. tom aspinall is still really really good will probably be a champ one day but him finishing all of his ufc opponents in like three minutes you know ha- has left some things to take back to the drawing board
1: so Aspinall has ran through his last two opponents submitting him really quick. Imagine if he submits Curtis Blades. Oh, magic my goodness. Imagine he submits him quick, like in the first round, like he just did Volkov. Just
0: take takes him down. Or, again, pan, pancakes in the takedown, ends up yeah. on top and just come over Or yeah. yeah.
1: Imagine the hype. I, if 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 Curtis Blades shoots a takedown and gets – in Asmode jumps guillotine, chokes him out cold. Or, like you said, Pancakes spins behind, whatever. Yeah. Sprawl spins behind, chokes him out. Gets a gets a submission a minute and a half. Is he the favorite against Francis in Ghana? Betting favorite?
0: He's at least closer to it than anybody else in the division.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just... It's just <laughs> no, that's what I'm rooting for to happen, just because the storyline. Uh it, we we talked about the how good this card is. I mean, it it to me this card has a pay per view feel without a title shot, like without a title. Um, if you would the Mamanda Nunez versus Juliana Pena card, if you completely scrapped the entire card and threw this undercard in with that main event, would it sell any less pay per views? I don't think so. Either. Like that's how good this guy is. I mean, uh, you took Blades, but Blades, Blades could obviously ruin a lot of UFC plans with Asmald. I mean, it is a real risk making this matchup because if Aspinall passes it in England and he passes the test like Curtis Blades, even if he wins a split decision, the hype on him is going to be through the roof beating a guy like Curtis Blades. Yes, but that's a big ass. You're taking your. Because if not, you're really setting up Curtis Blades for another title shot—a guy that you really don't want to be fighting for a title, or, or at least you know high in the conversation. Curtis Blades is this massive heavyweight who he has some big wins. He's and the scary thing about him is we've talked about it before about how young he is. He's probably just starting to come into his prime years now. His stand-up has come such a long way. I mean, we saw him just starch Chris Darkus, uh, Darkus with ease in his last fight. Obviously, he has big power. I mean, look at him! look at him. And a lot of it, he lands shots on the ends of his punches. And that we talked about this before because he has that really weird frame. He has these long weird arms. Um, his his straight right is his best punch. One thing I'm worried about him being that he's starting to knock guys out, is he's not one of these wrestlers who starts falling in love with his hands and he forgets where he has an advantage. Uh back to his stand-up. He's, he uses feints well. He shoulder rolls, which I've been saying. Like I like deflecting shots with the shoulders, except a, except at heavyweight, you're playing with fire at heavyweight to kind of because uh, you got a you know deflecting shot off the off the forehead at middleweight at bantamweight, it's a little different. than get one at heavyweight. Yep. Uh, he he throws some hard. Like I mean, look how built he is. Well, you mentioned when we talk about the all time greatest wrestlers. At heavyweight, We mentioned the names, Radio Couture, Brock Lesnar, Kane Valeses, Kevin Randleman, Mark Coleman, Mark Kerr. Yeah, where does Curtis Blades stand all time? Who knows? But right now, he's the best wrestling division. And there's no debate. Like, yeah, is Tom Asmall really a really good wrestler? Yeah, he looks like he is. But in a straight wrestling match, I'm taking Curtis Blades. He's a heavyweight that shoots penetration shots, which is so rare. He blasts right through his opponent's defense. Uh, I mean, look at what he did to Volkov. Just took him out over and over again. Uh, Shamil Abdirakim was another fight where he just, like, that's the guy with the wrestling background, just driving right through. And the thing about Curtis Blades, which I like in this fight, uh, not in the excitement factor, but, I mean, if I'm coaching Curtis Blades, if I'm I'm, I'm on his team, I'm betting on Curtis Blades, whatever it is, he doesn't care about being excited. Usually. Now, I'm hoping that the – again, I'm hoping if I'm backing Blades is he doesn't fall in love with his hands and he wants to sling it out and try to chase a knockout. But usually he doesn't care. He'll, he'll lay, hold you down, doesn't care if Aspels pinned to the campus, he's getting booed in their hometown, The police is throwing popcorn on him and bear on him as he's walking out. He won't care. And when he's on top, he just slowly works to a better position. Uh, once his opponent on, is tired, he unloads some of the scariest ground upon, especially when he gets his opponent pinned against the cage. Um, the one con- one big concern I have, well, two big concerns. The last time we seen him fight deep in a fight was the Volkov fight. We had to go five rounds. He looked fantastic for about three and a half, four rounds, and then he—I don't know if you remember—he kind of gassed out, mm-hmm. and and and. The fight was never in jeopardy. and He was so far ahead. But in a little bit of concern, if you can kind of push him, uh, you're still going to have a shot late. And then ultimately the biggest thing is the chin, the Francis Gano, the Derek Lewis, the guys who, I mean, scary knockouts. Again, the two biggest hitters. I, I think it's safe to say the two biggest hitters in the history of the sport. I mean, I don't know. Who else would even be in the conversation?
0: You can talk about someone like, you know, Mark Hunt. You know, but
1: oh, yeah, that's fair. Well, oh, yeah, Mark Hunt, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, and I guess but, Shane Carwin, but, I mean, Rumble Blade's, Blades
0: flattened Mark Hunt and like he's 0 3 against in- in- Ingano and yeah, Lewis. Yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, but the, the whole point is, I mean, the two, in my opinion, probably the two biggest hitters. Sure. Tom Aspen, although this guy, obviously, the new kid on the block, he's he's a big guy, he's six foot five, he's long and lengthy, is not many guys. They can match the size of Curtis Blades. Tom Asimov is that guy. And the crazy thing, as big as we talk about Curtis Blades, he's quick. Mm-hmm. He is not going to be the quicker guy in this fight. He's not no. going to be the more athletic guy. I mean, we talk about the best wrestler being Curtis Blade. Who's quicker than Tom Asimov right now? I mean, maybe, maybe gone? Maybe? Maybe. I don't know. And what I what I was thinking about the rise of Asmal being this just this good athlete, this guy who looks like a middleweight moving around. It, it's it's what stood out about Stipe Miotich as his rise in the division. He was that athletic guy that moved, but you have that and then bigger. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, he's quick, he's light on the feet, he moves well, he can fight out of both stances, he's well rounded. I mean. For a long time, you heard about him being the jiu jitsu guy, and then he's knocking guys on the feet. Then you finally start thinking he's a boxer, and now he's quickly taking guys down to subdomains. Um, he's he's a really quick twitch boxer, he's got accurate strikes, he's got power in both of his hands. Now he's mixing in takedowns with his striking, he's got some slick grappling. I mean, he beat the brakes off of Sergey Spivak with Grind and Pound, and then look what he just did to Andre Alowski and Alexander Volkov. I mean, he submitted those guys with ease. Yeah. Um, so as far as the prediction goes, I have flip flop back and forth both times. I mean, both guys are really good. And that's why this is such a fantastic main event and such a fantastic card because uh, this this is probably the toughest fight on the card to pick. Uh, I was leaning blades due to what I think will be a wrestling advantage. Yes, I understand what you're saying with Aspinall, that he he might be a much tougher test in the grappling, in, in the wrestling, uh, strictly the wrestling, not the, not the jiu-jitsu, but strictly the wrestling. But I want to see Aspinall show that he can't get pinned to the canvas against a guy like Curtis Blades. Plus Blades, it, I've seen a lot of people talking about Aspinall's power. Blades is a huge dude. He can land one big shot. Like, would be shocked if Blades just starches him? Like, that wouldn't shock me. Uh, however, it wouldn't shock me if Aspinall starches Blades, um, especially because we've seen it. Uh We've seen blades get hurt in the past. We've seen blades have to be perfect in fights, and maybe that's the case in this fight. I have gone England. I've gone. Hold on, let me get this out. I've gone England. I got him six and zero in the night. I don't think they're going perfect though. I, I'm going Curtis Blades. Uh, I'm going to go with Blades due to his wrestling. As Aspinall has faced higher competition recently, he's really relied on his grappling as he stepped up in competition. I can't see him winning a grappling matchup against Curtis Blades. Give me Blades to land some takedowns, to play it safe, some topside wrestling. I think we might have a boring Curtis Blades decision uh, with he's him. He just ruins the night for the Brits, keep, keeps them from going perfect. Give me Blades by decision.
0: There we go. Uh, Some agreement on the slight upset uh, in the headliner of UFC London. Last question for you: Is there any? Could you see any result from this that would really sour you on Aspinall as a as a contender, or would it just be a case of too much too soon?
1: If he gets starched, maybe. um, If he gets starched early, um, not saying like I won't say like, oh, he's done. But, you know, that would be like a little bit too too soon. Um, if he gets taken, like if he goes down the way that sound like both me and you pick where he's getting out wrestled, that, that I'm not going to feel bad. Like, it, hold on. If, if he doesn't make the wrestling competitive at all, if Blaze is just woke off at him right through it, then I'm a little worried. But mm-hmm. if, you know, there's times he's struggling, but Blades gets a takedown here, gets a takedown there. Like, I won't feel that bad. Does that make sense?
0: No, it it completely makes sense. And the reason I asked is because that's the way I feel. I'm picking Blades in this fight, but I think we'll look back on it as a moment where we're like, you know what? This was Aspinall's first time past the second round in the UFC. He came back stronger for it. And five round fights were never a problem again.
1: (laughs) And he's 29. Like we could legit get 15 more years of this guy in the division. We
0: could. We could. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think Blades wins this weekend, even though I'm not surprised by... The opposite outcome, but I think it's more likely that Aspinall is a UFC champ than Blades, just because of kind of what's above Blades in the in the pecking order.
1: The improved I mean, obviously Francis Gano has beat him twice now. Yeah, uh, but the improved wrestling of Francis Gano makes it feel less less confident. Yeah, where there was a time where I, I was saying, I know Francis Gano has has starched Curtis Blades twice but I still think Curtis Blades could be a really tough stylistic matchup for first thing The more and more I see, you know, NCAA wrestling and Gano the, the, the more, the least confident I feel of Curtis Blades, yeah. but it, it wouldn't surprise me if Curtis Blades won the title. It really
0: wouldn't. No, it wouldn't surprise me if either of them did, but like, I would almost like slightly favor Aspinall to be the one more likely to have worn the belt at some point, say three years from now.
1: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Yeah. Well, that is it. The UFC, uh, London UFC fight night, two Oh eight preview on the Sure dog radio network. I've been Ben Duffy. He's been Keith Schillen. Uh, thank you for watching. Doubly thank you. If this happens to be your first time watching us, uh, please do like, subscribe, leave us uh, comments. Comments are important. Please, yeah, Keith, Keith, and I will both answer you. uh, You know, as long as you're reasonably decent, and by all means, especially join us on the recap of 10 to 15 minutes after the main event. We are live on the SureDog YouTube page, talking about all 14 of these fights. Please, all 14 of them make it to the cage, talking about what was good, what was bad, what was controversial. There's always something what's next for the winners as well as the losers who needs to get cut. Did the right people get the bonuses, all that good stuff. And we like to hear from you. The live chat is wide open during that recap on the YouTube page. So we are taking your questions, your comments, your hot takes. We'd love to see you there between now and then thank you again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week and definitely enjoy the fights.